Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Standing on My Soapbox, the daily rant and radio show. We talk about all of the good, bad, and the ugly of current events. Join your host, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. You, our listeners, are invited to call in and stand on our soapbox with us. Call 347-989-0126 between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. That's 347-989-0126. Now, here are your host and creator, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. Well, welcome, everyone. Standing on my soapbox, it is Wednesday, July 17th, 2019, I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and in just a couple of seconds, Mr. Craig Hurley, actor and writer, will be my co-host. Give us a call today, 347-989-0126. We're here Monday through Friday talking news, politics, and pop culture stories of the day, and whatever is on your mind. We're looking forward to hearing from you today, so give us a call. Mr. Craig Hurley, how you doing? Wow, dude. I, you just kind of threw me in there. <laughs> I just threw I just you didn't in expect there. to. Yeah, I just didn't expect to be on right that second. For some reason, I thought uh, you had other yeah. things to say besides uh, no. word of the day, impeachment. That that could be the word of the day. Impeachment. Yeah, they tabled that though. It's not going to happen. Of course, they tabled it. Of course it. not. Of oh, course not. Could wasn't. you imagine the repercussions? Uh, you know, right. it, it's just good that they're that they're calling them out. So, yeah. but the repercussions on that—I mean, first of all, we'd have to deal with Pence, which that's not going to be any fun, and, right. and him as president. Whoa! Um, and then, and then we got to deal with sixty million dumbasses that are all freaking out because you know, racist in chief got impeached. So we don't want to have to deal with that either. Exactly. Yeah, that's, it's just too much worse. I've been saying that ever since he got in. It just yeah, I would rather I would rather know the enemy we have than get Pence, who has a better chance at re-election, and as just as has just as many stupid hang-ups, he just talks better than the president. So it's like I I would rather stick with what we have and just vote him the heck out. Get yeah, him done. But yeah, they got all sorts of stuff going on in the House today. They're voting on the impeachment thing, which they decided to table. In a second, they're going to talk about uh, holding William Barr and uh, Wilbur Roth in contempt for the whole census thing. So we'll see how that goes yep. over. Uh, they got a busy, busy, um, busy, busy thing today, which is good because in a week, I think they take their six weeks off vacation for the summer because. They work way wow. too hard that they have a whopping is that a, is that a paid twenty-eight days in session. I'm sorry, aren't we so. still in a national emergency? I think we're still in a national emergency. Why the hell are they taking days off? I don't know. We got to. These be are our representatives. Do, do any now. of us, any of us, get an opportunity to take a day off? No. No, I we're mean, still it's, paying it's them through embarrassing. that. I mean, when when I don't know what the agenda was set by Pelosi, and I'm unfortunately I guess it's probably not that that much better but i know that ryan's last term he scheduled 79 official working days for the entire year uh so what and there's what wow 200 and something available so 
less than 30% he's scheduled to work. Wow. Why do we put up with this as, as people know. who elected sure these officials? Better. They still have lots of time off. They get a couple weeks off every time you turn around. They're getting six weeks off for summer. I mean, mind you, I understand a little bit of it. Um, if it worked in theory, the theory behind it is they're supposed to take that time off go back and talk with their constituents and then come vote for what those constituents would tell them. Unfortunately, they go back, they don't, they listen to three people or they don't do anything. They don't listen to the polls and they don't vote what their constituents tell them to say. So it's like, what's the point of giving them all this time off if they're not going back and listening to the people they represent? They need need six weeks. They need, they need, they need in, in what year are we seriously back in like 1776 when the airports took over? I mean, when the armies took over the airports, according to our well, president, like I, said, I don't mind it. I mean, I mean, you're in a state you know, like six California, weeks, you need six, six weeks. weeks. You can barely I can tell you right now. Half the state. I can tell you right time. now, dude, they can hit each other up on Twitter. Everybody, you know, everybody can tell their contingency, you know, what they, what they want to, what they want them to do. Everybody can tell their people. I mean, their people can tell their representatives what they want them to do. We don't need six weeks. How much do you trust that in the bots anymore? How much can you even trust that? I would like to see. I would like to see my uh, representative go in town. I mean, I I go see my Tim Ryan, who's running for president, who is not going to do any good, but uh, he is my congressman right here in Ohio, and I know him well. My business was down a couple. Uh, doors down from his office and whenever he comes to town I usually see him I want to see my representatives that's part of their job um, right. and if you have a big state I can understand Well, representatives are different if a senator is different a senator, when you have two senators from each state and a state's pretty big they need a little more time when you're talking representatives they're a congressional district that is of course gerrymandered to hell, but really doesn't take much more. You don't need much more than a week or two to see your right. entire district. I don't think right. we have what a jillion of those guys. So uh, maybe not as much for there, but senators definitely need a little more time. I can That's what I'm that. talking about. It doesn't take six weeks, you know, to to talk to everybody and get your shit together and then go back to Washington. It doesn't take six weeks right, to do right. that. With all the issues uh, that we have right now, you know, with exactly. detaining children on the border, I, dude, you need another six weeks to decide on that. Really? Right. Wow, immoral bastard. <laughs> That's what I call you. If you need another six weeks on deciding on, you know, whether or not detaining children is a good thing. Exactly. So, what else is going on with you today, man? I'm having mm. I'm not happy with it. I um yeah, there's been computer issues all over the place. Uh Vegas that was Mercury out for like three hours. Today is my Astro Kiki radio show and I've been told that Mercury's been in retrograde for a week and that this entire month is supposed to be the loudest. Just garbage. So, yep, <laughs> Just garbage for the human race. That's what my astrologist tells me. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Good to know. Prepare yourself. Uh, seeing as how we're in the midst of it. But uh, no, there, I, uh, we started talking about it yesterday. Uh, I finished up watching 69 hours or whatever crazy amount of hours it was of Game of Thrones. 
and I know you haven't watched much of it, but um, they currently have 32 Emmy nominations. So it's the most in ever uh, for any TV show. And uh, it's, uh, they also, I mean, there's a number of different things that happen with that show. It was the most watched uh, TV show ever, that type of stuff. Um, uh, I got a whole bunch of stuff. You know what? I'm just going to read this shit. Uh, because Game of Thrones to me had a whole bunch of different stories of how we're dealing with the issues of today, even though it had a medieval setting. Um, right. It, it's still uh, all about, you know, they're constantly talking about how winter is coming and that just is climate change. And then they, you know, have this big battle uh, against climate change. And it's only a bunch of select people that uh, select groups that go into that battle. Other groups of people step out of it because they don't, it's not their fight. So just stuff like that. And, and the way they, they threw those stories into um, Game of Thrones. And I think it's really cool of B.B. Weiss and of, um, uh, uh, David, uh, and I can bend off and then, uh, George R. R. Martin. For some reason, I, I, I have a problem with David's last name. I can never remember. <laughs> I, I just, it's so weird to me. Uh, but, and, and you know, these guys are geniuses uh, on the stuff that, that they've done. Um, Game of, like I said, Game of Thrones scored a record breaking 32 nominations for Emmys, including obviously best drama. Uh, this is like a, a hashtag what Craig meant to say, but I'm actually saying it. Uh, all main actors in the cast have nominations. In the category of Best Supporting Actress in Drama, there are only two actresses out of the six nominated that aren't on the Game of Thrones. Um, three episodes are nominated for direction as well. Uh, this show has possibly the best artistic direction in the history of television. I mean, I, I sat there and watched you know, like I said, 69 hours of this. <clears throat> and it was certainly the most expensive TV show ever made. They spent $100 million on the last eight episodes. So just that alone is a crazy amount of money for a TV series to be, to be even though it was planned, um, they, they still, I mean, that's, that's just an insane amount of money. Um, uh, it's makeup and wardrobe departments were absolutely amazing. Uh, special effects and CGI have been, they're unparalleled. Um, there's only one place in, in all of the CGI that I saw. And, you know, I, I know you're, you're, you're kind of behind on this, Scott. Um, but, and I'm just going to give you spoiler after spoiler on this. Uh, you know, the, the only time that I saw that, that, um, that the CGI kind of didn't work was when John was flying the dragon. So that's the only, oh, sorry, big spoiler. Um, and, uh, and, and it just kind of didn't work. Um, it, it just was kind of, it, it looked like CGI to me. Um, but the special effects in the CGI are unparalleled as far as every, everything else is concerned. Uh, the episode, The Long Night, it has the biggest war sequence in the history of any film genre. Um, uh, but at the at, at the absolute core of this 
extraordinary successful show is its storyline. And without its story, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have the phenomenon that, you know, wouldn't be the phenomenon that it is. Um, right. At the very, very core of this story are oppressive, tyrannical, angry, bitter, unloving, unsupportive, abusive fathers. That is at the core of this story. There's the Lannister house, whose patriarch is Tywin Lannister. Um, his offspring, Lannister house is, is the reason why I'm mentioning them first. They are the like trillionaires. They're like, they, <laughs> excuse me, they have all of the contacts with the banks and they are like one of the quotes is a Lannister always pays its debts or pays their debts. Um, they just have uh, power and money over money. Um, the patriarch in the Lannister family is Tywin Lannister, and his offspring are extremely damaged. Uh, usually, uh, like, uh, let's see, uh, Jamie Lannister, he's a really good-hearted military member of, of the family. Uh, he joined the military, and his protective nature over his sister turns into an incestuous relationship with her, um, and that's Cersei Lannister. And Cersei Lannister ends up emulating her father. So, and, and, and the whole time, um, they're, they're all like, I'm not my father. I'm not my father. I'm not my father. Every single one of these houses that I'm about to, that I'm about to um, talk about in the, in, or kingdoms in the, there are more houses because uh, they all carry banners of their own. Um, but they're, Every single one of these people or, or houses that I'm talking about are are tyrannical. Uh, the the fathers in there and and the the patriarchs in those families are are uh, tyrannical and heartless. Um, uh, Cersei uh, Lannister, um, she wants to be on the Iron Throne. She wants to rule the Seven Kingdoms. And she's constantly like, I'm not my dad, but she emulates her dad and ultimately destroys herself with her need to win and actually make him proud. They're all trying to – all these offspring are trying to make their tyrannical dads uh, happy. Um, and they have gotcha. a brother uh, – they have a brother uh, – Let's not give away the whole plot. Give away the main thing, but don't give away the entire no, plot. No, give away no the I'm, plot. Not, I'm, not giving away, I'm not giving away the entire plot. I'm just talking okay. about tyrannical dads in this um, in this storyline. Uh, 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 Tyrion is a dwarf. He's or imp, but he calls himself, and that's um, uh, Peter Dinklage, who freaking amazing dude, They're absolutely freaking amazing. Deserves everything. everything he does. I agree. That, oh, I agree. Man, I, one of my favorites. Is, I I can't stand uh, Will Ferrell, but I love Elf. And I love, 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 love Elf. And Peter Dinklage and Elf, just I, I, amazing, dude. Absolutely freaking amazing. Um, right. I, 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 he, he plays the writer, but whatever. Um, uh, uh, for, for Tyrion, uh, it, it, his, his disorder, his, his being a dwarf, is a metaphor for any disorder. 
he even he even says that a dwarf is a bastard to all fathers. All fathers think that they're that a dwarf is a bastard. So that's that's any disorder. That's any problem. And and it even stems over to LGBTQ issues. It even stems over to just being an artist. It's not even like it it's being different than than the family. Gotcha. And at the core of the hatred for his father is insecurity about having produced is is the father's insecurity about having produced a child with special needs that you know he's not man enough to just love and he and his other children you know for for who they are for for just exactly who they are they that the the fathers are super insecure on that and they they show nothing but criticism and insensi- insensitivities for their children's whole lives the grandchildren die at the hand of dysfunction and the effects of the whole family as well. And I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the, the, what's, what's currently happening in our society as well. That's why, that's why I'm, I'm saying these things about the different houses in game of Thrones. It's reflected over and over. The writers wrote it over and over again. Uh, uh, there's the, the Balon Greyjoy. I mean, Greyjoy, uh, he's another house, and he's eternally disappointed. Uh, he's eternally disappointed, patriotic of the Greyjoy house. And he produces two kids. Uh, one of them is, um, uh, uh, <laughs> I can't believe I forgot his name. Uh, I just did a movie with him. Uh, uh, shit. Um, the actor that played his part, Alfie Allen. Alfie Allen. I just did plastic with him. In fact, my scene in plastic is with Alfie Allen, and um, uh, and he plays Theon, and who makes just extremely bad choices, and just and just to gain his father's acceptance, and then his daughter, who's a lesbian, ultimately has to fight her father to keep her brother safe. So it, it keeps repeating itself. Rose Bolton in the Bolton House. He has extreme insensitivity toward his son, and his son was born a bastard. And Ramsey is one of the most bitter, sadistic characters in television history, dude. He is so disgustingly, like, he's trying to continue to make his father proud of him, but he, he just is one disgusting behavior after another, and ultimately um, kills his father to, to keep the rightful claim of the throne. So that he's tried to legitimize the whole time, his whole life, where he's a bastard. He has no legitimate claim to that throne. And I'm, I'm getting down to it, because it's, it's multiple houses that all have tyrannical fathers. And that is the right. fight, is every single, every single house, every single kingdom wants to be ruled by a different house and in a different way. And yet, they're all tyrannical. Um, uh, Ares, uh, well, uh, Ares Targaryen, who is Danny's, um, you know, Dragon Lady's um, uh, dad. Um, he produces, you know, that daughter Daenerys, and she's been on proving that she's not like her dad. Over and over again, she's saying she's freeing people, and that, but ultimately, she becomes exactly like him. She becomes a dictator. So without these stories that are in there, the fans would not identify with these characters. And with the core of the stories being about fathers being 
such intolerant, stubborn, insensitive assholes, you have to ask yourself, how many fathers on the planet that we're dealing with right now, how many human fathers are actually like that? And what's their fucking excuse for being such dicks? Excuse my language. But do they know how much damage they've caused to their kids? Do they care? I mean, they're all being portrayed as old. So maybe, I don't know, the tyrannical form of raising children is hopefully dying off. But tyranny produces dysfunction, dude. Intolerance produces dysfunction. Rigidity produces dysfunction. And apparently dysfunction produces great stories. So, I, you know, that's what I'm there, – there is one father on the show that I have to, you know, because, like, they're not all bad. Um, Eddard Stark and of the, the House of Stark, who loves and accepts his children for exactly who they are unconditionally. And the Stark children end up ruling the Seven Kingdoms. I, I, you know, the moral, I guess, of the story is be a good, loving father, and you will produce good, loving, success, successful kids. So, I, you know, I, I think that's where I, – I, I just feel like that's where I was, you know, going with, with this, and that it, it's directly reflective on society. And there's so many sub-stories in there, in, in Game of Thrones – that are so relatable to people. And I think that's one of the major ones. And that, you know, these producers and George R. R. Martin have had uh, difficulty with their own parents, and they're artists. So, no doubt, they've had difficulty with their own parents, especially if their parents are rigid and tyrannical. There you and we go. See it, you know, kind of, we see it happening anyway in our government. You know, we see that that's happening in, in governments around the world. And I'm just, I just wanted to point it out. And, and you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that I got my point across. I don't know. I, you know, give me a call, 347-989-0126, if you see any of the other sub-stories that are in there that are, you know, topics on what we deal with. On, on a daily basis And I'm serious I want, I'm just wondering how many of those fathers out there You know and, and what gives them the right to be such dicks I, I, I don't get it You're destroying your family You're destroying your, the friendships You're destroying relationships You, you, you know nobody likes you <laughs> I, You know I'm just like Okay continue that process so unfortunately, most of them have no clue. Off. So there's not much you can do. But yeah, you're right. That white? Most of them don't have a clue. I, so. No, I think they're they're continuing to do what they were taught. You know, their fathers were hard asses as well. Their their fathers were assholes, and that's how they know how to raise. That's as far as they can get, and they don't get it. You know, they, you got to just treat your kid like like they're themselves. You know, I don't. I, that's what I did with my daughter. I, I may be, I, I may have not have been there enough. Um, I get that. Uh, and, and, you know, we all have to live our lives. Um, but I certainly never put her down. I certainly never did anything that was unsupportive as far as who she is as an individual. I always have wanted her to be herself. And that's it. Right. That's it. That's, all, that's, that's it. That's all I want from my daughter. Is that she be herself? She be independent. So, and independent of any of what my disorders might be, 
and what might be thrown in. And that may be why I kind of stepped aside and, and let her, you know, live her life as she grew up. Well, I wasn't in interference with any of that. And she still knows that I love the hell out of her. There you go. So That's yeah. what it's all about. All right, well, let's get back to the Emmys. We said we're going to go into them today, so let's go into the Emmys and we'll yeah, kind 30, of 30 dive a little bit. for Game of Thrones, in. man. They're going to die. Um, quite a bit. There was a couple that had like 30. Uh, I think 32 was, of course, the biggest. I think uh, a couple had 23 and 24. Um, outstanding comedy series. I have not heard of one of them. Um, Barry, Fleabag, The Good Place. Oh, my God, Barry. Dude, you haven't watched Barry? I have oh, not you're watched so Barry, but I've heard everything about it. So, yeah, no, Bill Hader's so funny, dude. And Henry Winkler, oh, my God, he's so good. They're so good. The cast is so good, dude. And the writing is phenomenal. They're so right. funny. Marvelous Miss Maisel, Russian Doll, Schitt's Creek, and, Ve- and Veep. Schitt's Creek is one of the surprises of the season. Yeah. It got quite yeah. a few nominations. It's been it's in its, like, fifth or sixth final season. And... Uh, it's been a good Fifth show all the way along. Season. It's been really enjoyable, but it's what's that? Fifth or sixth final season, like they've done a final season five or six times, it's in or it's or in its sixth fifth season and whatever season and it's the final, final. I don't know which one it is. Yeah, yeah, it's either yeah. fifth or sixth. I've six, watched a couple episodes of Shit's Creek. I liked it. It's, it's all it's SNL got, type characters. It's all Santa yeah, Live it, and Second City. It got awards for uh, yeah, more more. Um, not SNL. What's the other group? The um, uh, yeah, Second City. Second City. Yeah, Catherine That's O'Hara. That's where Catherine and O'Hara came out of. And right, um, that group that they do the the Sudden Wind and uh, all those all those waiting for Guffman things like that. A certain group. Mm. I forget the guy's name. That's kind of behind all that. But yeah, that group of people. It's another comedy troupe, and I'm pretty sure they're out of Canada. And I don't know what they're. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the yeah, name of it is, too. But, yeah. One it's, guy that's around it. They're, but they're very good. I like everyone that's right. in it. And uh, they right. do really cool. So, I don't know. Between all those, I'm between probably Barry, Marvelous with Maisel, or Shit's Creek. I, I, I hope for one of the three of them. Dude, Barry's so funny. I'm sure very good. But, uh, yeah, Barry got um, Henry Winkler, his very first Emmy ever. And everything yep. he's done on TV, last year he won his very first for um, – and we'll see if he's – Nominated here in a second. Outstanding drama series besides Game of Thrones was Better Call Saul, Bodyguard, Killing Eve, Ozark, Pose, Succession, and This Is Us. Pose is another one that got six nominations and was a big surprise. Ozark's really uh, good, too. Yeah, and What's Her Face from Ozark is up for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, I can't think of her her name, and I can't think of her character name. She's really good. I'll go through it just a second here, yeah. Yeah, I've seen Ozark. uh, that's supposed to be good. Killing Eve is supposed to be very good. I haven't seen either of those two, but they're both supposed to be very good. Um, Bodyguard, I think, has a big character, and I don't know if that's Julia Roberts or the other one. It has a big name attached to it, but I've never really heard that much about it, to be honest with you. Um, outstanding lead actor in a drama series, Jason Bateman for Ozark. Sterling nice. K. Brown for This Is Us, So I Love. Kit Harrington for Game of Thrones. Bob Odenkirk for Better Call Saul. Keats probably Billy got it. Porter for Pose. Keats. And, huh? Keith Harrington. Kit, sorry. They call him Keith in, in other countries because they can't pronounce oh. Kit. So, yeah. Gotcha. Keith. 
So, Kid Harrington, Bob Odenberg, Billy Porter from Pose, and Milo Ventimiglia from This Is Us. So, that's the lead actor. I was, um, Sterling's got it once or twice. I would like to see, um, I don't know, Billy Porter. I'm a huge Billy Porter fan with Pose. I don't know if this will be his year or not. It may be his year in an upset. Uh, Jason Bateman and Ozark supposed to be good too. So, who knows? I I love Jason, man. I I love his work. Dude, you ever see him in, in Smoke and Aces? Have you ever seen Smoke and Aces? No. You got to see Smoke and Aces. Get it, get it on. Just just watch it on uh, online or wherever wherever you watch your movies. Watch some Smoke and Aces because there's so many cameos and there's so much. Yeah, Chris Pine's awesome in it. Jeremy Piven's awesome in it. Common's awesome. Oh wow, great cast. Yeah. Great yeah. No, dude, the cast is amazing. Cast is amazing. You don't even recognize um, Chris Pine. You can't you can't recognize him, dude. It's awesome. And Ben Affleck's wow. in it. And I'm trying to think of some other people who are in it. But I yeah, did there's not no know there's for cameo a long after time cameo after that Chris Pine's dad came from Chips back in the day, and I'm old enough to remember Chips and Robert Pine. What? Um, but I didn't oh, know that. Oh no shit! I didn't yeah. know that either, dude. Yeah. That's well, nepotism dad. runs high. Wow, that's there cool. There you go. But yeah, yeah I didn't even I, I didn't realize that I didn't put that together and I've never looked up enough like information on it. ago Mr. and I, I was shocked. I didn't I didn't know that. But yeah. Wow, that's cool. Hi, outstanding lead actor. Well, at least he had a supportive series. father. He had a supportive father, obviously. Uh, and go. look what happened. He became a friggin' movie star. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> right, outstanding what can happen lead when, actor. When you have supportive series. fathers. Amelia Clark for Game of Thrones, of course. Jody Connor for killer Comer, excuse me, for killing Eve. Viola Davis for How to Get Away with Murder was a surprise. They're on. They're going to be in their last huh. season next year. Uh, Laura Linney from Oz. Laura Linney is who you were thinking about for Ozark. Um, yeah. Sandra O. Oh for no, she killing was great Eve. in the big seat. No, 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 uh, no. Uh, best supporting actress. Is oh, okay. that, you're going through leading, right? Yeah. No. Right. Supporting. Yeah, Mandy Moore for this that I was talking about. Robin no, Laura Wright Linney, for House Laura Linney Cards was, was another great surprise. In, uh, the Big C. Did you see The Big C? Laura Lane plays a cancer patient. I haven't seen it all the whole way through. Oh, my God. It's so good. Well, yeah. yeah, she is good. So She's good. a great actor. Yeah. All right. Outstanding lead actor in a limited series or movie I'm not going to care about. Um, Why? But there's some good names in there. All right. We can go through it. Uh, Marshala <laughs> Ali for True Detective. Benicio Del Toro right. for Escape at Dan Mora. Uh, Hugh Grant for A Very English Scandal, Jared Harris for Chernobyl, <laughs> Gerald Jerome for When They See Us, and Sam Rockwell for Fosse Verdon. Well, uh, interesting. See. Interesting yeah, and very diverse uh, uh, as far as, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting group of people that are all nominated for the same award. I think mean, that's very interesting. lead actress in a limited series or movie, and this was a surprise snub they put it under uh amy adams for sharp objects patricia arquette for escape at dan mora joey king for the act michelle williams for fossey verdon uh Anjane ellis for when they see us and niecy nash for when they see us the surprise huh. was that nobody from strange Little, or uh big little lies got nominated in that categories well this whole second season i don't know if you're watching big little lies but this second season i mean uh uh, what's her face is is doing amazing Uh, um well they're all doing amazing but meryl streep like i've said it in the past and and i've gotten 
you know, drug over coals from other actors, I, you know, because I attended the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I'm a graduate. And also the Chicago Academy for the Arts. I'm a graduate of there, too, as well. And I, for, for at least six years of my life, uh, I was, like, berated for, for not liking Meryl Streep. And the, when, when it finally, when she did Devil Wears Prada, I went, wow, she immersed herself into a role. I can finally accept that, yeah, she's a really good actress. I, can, I get it. And then Big Little Lies. Dude, she's something else. She's playing textbook narcissism. And, I, and it, it's just an amazing performance. An absolutely nice. amazing performance by Meryl Streep. And, um, but the, this whole second season has been awkward because they didn't have a, a second season idea. They didn't even have, you know, anything written. They, they weren't going on with this. And it was the fans that were like, please make a second season. So they don't know if they're actually going to go on with a third season because they don't, they didn't know if they were going to do a second. And all yeah, that's they, what I heard. they don't plan on a third because they don't think they have anything yeah. else to say. They didn't think they had anything else to say this time. They don't think they can right. move anywhere. Yeah, so and they didn't think happened. they had anything else to say this time. Exactly. Right. So they had to have their characters go through situations that are semi-real life situations and, and how things would play out, at, you know, if, uh, you know, these um, five women had killed this guy. So they, they, needed to, they needed to see how it would play out, or at least we did, at least we as audience members did. And so they don't have anything else to write about. But the performances are on, on, from everybody, dude, from everybody. Zoe Kravitz, oh, my God, she's good. And I'm just I'm, – I'm completely blown away by that whole cast. And, and you know, even if, even if they're trying to – to just figure it out on the fly. It's still, I mean, that's amazing to me um, right. that they're, that they're pulling that off. And so, I, you know, I'm, there's been question after question about this second season, uh, but Meryl Streep's performance, just freaking absolutely amazing. Textbook. Very cool. And I, oh man, she's so good. All right. Moving on. Outstanding yeah, lead actor in a comedy series, Anthony Anderson for Blackish, Don Cheadle for Black Monday, I've never even heard of. Uh, of oh, man. Hey, no, it's really good. It's really good. Uh, Black Monday? I don't know what yeah, that's you gotta about watch at it. all. And Don Cheadle's, John, Don Cheadle's so good. He's so good. I like him. He's a anyway, great I'm actor, sorry. but I've never heard of Dan yeah. Black Monday before. Is it a cable yeah. series? You should watch it. it? I've never even you heard should of watch it. it. Just watch What's it. What's it about? Look it up. I'm all not going to say. There's a lot Ted of Danson for The Good Place, Michael Douglas for The Kaminsky Method, Bill Hader for Barry, and Eugene Levy for Schitt's Creek. So good talent in wow. that cast. Wow. Outstanding lead I wonder actress when the last time was Eugene series. Levy won an Emmy. Eugene Levy's this been is, around for so long. Well, no, this is um, this is his son. This is uh, this is no Eugene, Eugene Levy the guy Jr. that's that's on Schitt's Creek. Oh, yeah, he's a junior though. I think. Wow. I don't. I don't think maybe it is him. I don't know. It doesn't say junior next to it, but this is. Well, that's Levy probably Junior Levy show. Then. So I don't know. Right. They have a picture of both of them. In no, the, he plays. He's on it. He's so on it. Know. Eugene's on it as well. Yeah, I know. Sure. I don't know. I have to look up who if it's the son or the father. That's interesting. I don't know. I honestly don't Who's know nominated? which one it is. I'll have to look and see. Right. 
For Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series, Christina Applegate, who I love, and Dead to Me, Rachel Brosnahan nice. from Marvelous Miss Maisel, who I love, Julia Dreyfus, I'm Over, but she's very good, with Veep, Natasha Lyonne for Russian Doll, Phoebe <laughs> Waller-Bridge You can't be over. Ebay. You can't be over anybody's career, dude. She's she's great, and she's been great in she everything is, that she's but done. but she just won too much. And, I get I get bored of people oh, that won too much. So it's you know like, how hard um, this career is? Dude, every yeah. single one of the actors currently, every single one of the actors that's up for for the nominated for some shit on from Game of Thrones, none of them are currently working. There's very few of them. Okay, I'm sure there's a couple of them that, right. that got a movie deal here and a movie deal there, but you know, I, very few, very few of the cast are working. They're all they just got off a gig and hopefully it was a very well paying gig for them, but that doesn't mean anything. They're like they have to go out and get the next gig. Even if it's yeah, somebody I like Peter Dinklage, that, who is sent, who is doing something absolutely amazing, I don't think you should get an award for the same show every year. I just don't like that because I don't know. I don't think you get that much better. So right. I don't know if you're playing the there, same there character some, over and over. There are some story lines that get a little better for some people. I understand that part, but I just don't think in general characters don't get better from year to year so i that's what i mean by over her she's an excellent actress but she's won for this role like four times she won for seinfeld for like five times it's just i just like, give it to i just give it to character. any actor any actor that that can continue to book another role and then be on the air for an extended period of time i gotta give it to him man i can't i can't not give it to him and, and, and you know looking at myself too I'm an actor, right. so we go from yeah, gig but it's to gig, not a one-person gig. gig, though. It's it's not you know that it's not a one-person gig. Right, it's right. Not because no, of everybody around her makes her justice funny. Tony yeah. guy and everyone else. If if everyone else didn't work yeah. together, the show wouldn't get renewed. Then it didn't right work. Here. It wouldn't so work. It's not one person. But you're right. Correct. Correct. All right. Outstanding reality competition. Amazing. Who cares? Amazing race. Nailed it. American Ninja Warrior, RuPaul's Drag Race, Top Shelf and The Voice, Top Chef, not Top Shelf, uh, Top Chef top and The Voice. <laughs> top Shelf, I'll have a Stoli and Cranberry, please, while we're a talking here, Top Shelf drink. Um, let's <laughs> no, top Shelf weed. That's when you're walking and, uh, into the dispensary and you're like, yeah, I'll take the cushion <laughs> on the Top Shelf, thank you very much. So, right. <laughs> yeah, Top Shelf is usually considered like Tom Perry. Trevor Noah. Full Frontal with Samantha B, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Last Week with John Oliver, Late Late Show with James Corden, and Late Show with Stephen Corbet, Gary Bear, they all do good. Let's see, Outstanding Limited Series, Chernobyl, Escape at Dan Mora, Fosse Verdon, Sharp Object When They See Us. Okay, Outstanding Supporter Actor in a Comedy Series, um, Anthony Kerrigan for Barry, Alan Arkin for Comincy Method, Stephen Root for Barry, Tony Hale for Veep, Tony Shalhoub for Marvelous Miss Maisel and Henry Winkler for Barry. So three Barry people nominated for supporting actors. So good for them. They had to have a good season this year. Very, very nice. I like that. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Oops. Sorry, I, I cut out there, dude. Muted you. That's all right. We got no, I, no, I cut out completely. Like, okay. my phone cut out. New phone. Oh, okay. You know, I'm dealing with it. No worries. I just angle um, it the so wrong I, anyway, way and it hangs up. supporting actors for Barry, so that's pretty impressive. Um, nice. For best supporting actress, this is where all of your Game of Thrones comes in. There's uh, yeah. 
Oh, this, wait, this is outstanding actor for drama series. It's Jonathan Banks for Better Call Saul, Giancarlo Esposito for Better Call Saul, Alfie Allen, Game of Thrones, Nicholas Waldo for Game of Thrones, Peter Dinklage, Game of Thrones, Michael nice. Kelly, House of Cards, and Chris Sullivan, This Is Us. So three for Game of Thrones, two for wow, Better Call Saul. That is tough, man, that, that, uh, that, that Alfie and Dinklage are up against each other, man. They're both so good. Right. Alfie Allen in Game of Thrones, he actually plays two different characters, and they're definingly different, and it's really cool to watch. So his nice. transitions are, are, yeah, really, really cool to watch. That's very cool. No. Hi, outstanding supporter actress in a comedy series, Sarah Goldberg Berry, Sean Clifford Fleabag, Olivia Coleman Fleabag, Alex Bornstein for Marvelous Miss Maisel, Betty Gilpin for Glow, Martin Hink or Marin Hinkle, sorry, the Marvelous Miss Maisel, Kate McKinnon for Saturday Night Live, Anna Chumsky for Beep. Saturday Night Live got 16 Emmy nominations this year. They had a great wow. season last year. It's really so, cool. So yeah, a lot of it's technical, but that's not all front of front of camera people, but they got a lot of things, so good for them. Right, right. Um, all right, here we go. Here's your big Game of Thrones with four out of the six. Outstanding Wait, what support was the, actress. What, oh, okay. Go Sorry. ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go okay. ahead. Go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt. Outstanding supporting Sorry. actress in a drama series. Uh, Gwendolyn Christie for Game of Thrones. Julie Garner, Julia Garner for Ozark. Lena Headey with Game of Thrones. Fiona Shaw, Fleabag, Sophie Turner, Game of Thrones, and Maisie Williams, Game of Thrones. So yeah, Julia, Julia on Ozark, that that actress Garner. is freaking phenomenal. She's nice. phenomenal. I don't know if she's related to the other Garners or not, but dude, she is phenomenal. She is nothing like the character that she plays, and it's really—I mean—the person that she is is nothing like the character that she plays. So that's a fully developed character from just an amazing actress. Yeah, that Very she's cool. she's really really good. And yeah, she's up oh, against yeah. some Out- tough competition there with Game of Thrones. Yeah. Outstanding guest actor in a drama series: uh, Ron Cephas Jones for This Is Us, Michael McKean for Better Call Saul, Glenn Turman for How to Get Away with Murder, Michael Angerano for This Is Us, Kamal Nanjani for The Twilight Zone, and Bradley Whitford for the Handmaid's Tale. I like Bradley Whitford. Huh. I miss West Wing. Um, yeah, Bradley. Outstanding... No, did you ever see um, uh, Live on Live on Sunset Strip? They they did a thing that was like SNL, and they did behind the scenes of what it would be like. But it was in it was located in Hollywood. It wasn't located in Oh, that was something York. on Seventy Seven Sunset Strip or something. Seventy Seven like Sunsets. No, that I thought that was an old movie with like. Joan Crawford or some shit, or Betty Davis, and it's something like that. It, maybe I, I, I thought it was just live I know what on you're talking live from about. Sunset. I heard about it. Yeah, I didn't ever really you, see it, but I, I know what you're. You talking should about. you should see it. It's really cool. It's all the behind the scenes of how they produce a show like Saturday Night Live. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and Bradley Whitford is really good on that. Supposedly Bradley Whitford and I, and I'm not able to size up guys, but he's, he's like the thinking woman's sex symbol. Like he, you know, like he, he's usually plays. Yeah. That was from West Wing. I think so. he got that a lot. He really is. I think so. I, I can see that. So, yeah. Yeah. A lot All of, right. a lot of intelligent women think he's really sexy. All right. Here's where Saturday Night Live came through for outstanding guest actor in a comedy series. 
Matt Damon for Saturday Night Live, John Mulaney for Saturday Night Live, Robert De Niro for Saturday Night Live, Adam Sandler for Saturday Night Live, Luke Kirby for Marvelous Maisel, and Peter McNichol for Veep. So, yeah, that's a a lot of Saturday Night Live right there, four of them. And all did not let De Niro win a comedy award. That would be hilarious. Outstanding gets actor in comedy series, see De Niro, that'd be funny. Oh, that'd be that'd be freaking awesome. That absolutely would be freaking awesome for playing Mueller. That'd be fun. Exactly. Outstanding um, guest actress in a comedy series, Fiona Shaw, Fleabag, Kristen Scott Thomas, Fleabag, and Margaret, the Kaminsky Method, Jane Man, Margaret's still going on. Good her. Jane Lynch, wow. the Marvelous Miss Maisel, Sandra O, oh, Saturday Night Live. Maya Rudolph, The Good Place, and Emma Thompson, Saturday Night Live. I've tried to watch Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and I can't. I, I'm just not getting into it. And I'm trying to watch Fleabag too, and I, I can't. I just for some I've never reason, heard of Fleabag. I'm, what is that about? I, I can't. The comedy, the comedy is not. I I, I just can't do it. So it's it, it, it's a lot of British comedy is that way with me, and I just can't for some reason. I, I don't know why, and, I, and I, it's just a block for me. So, no, watch them. Get your, I, I, I need you to get your own opinions on these things, too. Just like Game of Thrones, you need to watch it. All right, just a couple more categories. We're going to be, we'll have 10 minutes left to talk about if anyone else wants to call in about something else. But outstanding supporting actor. <laughs> yeah, this seems to be just movie. pop culture. <laughs> I know, it's going to be a pop culture seems, day. It's we'll just tell you, a pop we'll culture day. Ben Wishaw for A Very English Scandal, Asante Black for When They See Us, Paul Dano for Escape at Dan Mora, uh, Stellan Skarsgård for Chernobyl. There's so many Skarsgård actors anymore. John Leguizamo for When They See Us. I love John Leguizamo. And Michael Kenneth Williams for When They See Us. For yeah, I haven't seen When They See Us yet, but I'm going to. In a drama series. It's supposed to be good. I have heard about that yeah. one. Yeah, it's supposed for to be outstanding really guest actress in a drama series, Cherry Jones, who's an amazing actress for Handmaid's Tale, Jessica Lang for American Story. And I just Apocalypse. started watching that creepy show, Handmaid's Tale. I just started watching that creepy ass shit, dude. It is creepy. That's what and, I hear. You know the all this, oh, so oppressive to women. It, it's just so creepy yep. to me. Yeah, Ugh. they said it's a big anyway, part of sorry, go ahead. stuff. That's okay. Felicia yeah. Rashad, This Is Us, Laverne Cox, Orange is the New Black, Cicely Tyson, How to Get Away with Murder, and Carice Van Houten for Game of Thrones. Wow. Uh, two more categories left. Three more categories left. It's clear. Is she uh, is Van Houten? How old is she? And what is she up for again? Clarice she's up from for Game of Thrones. Carice Van right. Houten. Let me look her up real quick. I've never heard of her before, and I haven't watched Game of Thrones. So let me see. Yeah, tell me who Wikipedia she she is a Dutch actress, also right. a singer. She was only born in 19... Oh, no, that's how long she's been. Oh, she's actually Acting, Guy Pierce. Wow, huh. I didn't know that. Guy Pierce, okay. I love him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't I don't find know her she age. Is. Oh, she was born in 76, so... 76, okay, so she's, she's about 40-something. 30, late 30s, right. early 40s. Um, let me see what she played in Game of Thrones. She played. Hmm. Dead air. Uh, <laughs> Dead air. Melisandra Dead air. of Ashi. Of Ashe, of Ashai. How do you say it? 
Aft hat. Mo Sandre of nice. Aft Eye. Oh no, no, no. She's great. She oh no, she's she's freaking okay. awesome, dude. I, I'm pretty okay. sure that's Danny's uh right hand. So yeah, okay, no, cool. she's she's really good. Right. She's really, really that's good. That's who that is. Well, she has outstanding guest actress in a drama series role. Um, outstanding nice. supporting actress in a limited series of movies, Patricia Arquette for The Act, Margaret Qualley for Fosse Borden, Patricia Clarkson, Sharp Objects, um, Marcia Stephanie Blake for When They See Us, Vera Farmiga for When They See Us, and Emily Watson for Chernobyl. Well, outstanding variety sketch series at home with Amy Sedaris, Documentary Now, Drunk History, I love you, America. Oh, I love Silverman. Drunk History, dude. Drunk it's History good. is the funniest. Oh my God, that show I do is like funny. I like that too. Saturday dude, Night and you can and actually learn America. history. You no, can really actually learn history from. from oh, no, historical they're dead facts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's being funny. told by a person who's drunk. That's all. It's really funny stuff. And last category is Outstanding Host for Reality, your competition program, one of your absolute favorites. Ellen DeGeneres for Ellen Game of Games, Amy Poehler, Nick Offerman for Making It, RuPaul for RuPaul's Drag Race, Marie Kondo for Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, and James Corden for The World's Best. And there it goes. It'll air September 22nd at 8 p.m. from the Microsoft Theater in L.A., that wow. is pop that far culture off. in a nutshell for the day, man. We took 49 minutes for that puppy, but it was worth it. Good show. <laughs> oh, no. Show. I, still, I still have some more pop culture. Uh, HBO Max will be producing a reboot of Gossip Girl. Uh, it's set eight years after the original Gossip Girl was revealed. So the show okay. will explore social media and how it affects the youth of today. So HBO is producing Gossip Girl again. Nice. Guys, you don't have you don't have anything else to produce. Hey, how about Daylight Sucks? Why don't you guys option Daylight Sucks and license it and produce it? Because merchandising go. on I that like alone, it. dude, is craziness. Dude, every character that's a vampire has its own. I've already got you know uh, merchandising set up for this, and they each have their own individual action figure. And then then when they become a vampire, there's that action figure as well. Dude, the merchandising on this is five hundred million dollars easy. Easy, so there t-shirts and 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 bumper stickers and all the crap. It's already I've already got it set up. So yeah, why don't they license that? Why don't they have a new another big production show since they just made I don't know how many billion on Game of Thrones. So instead, no, nope, they'll be um, rebooting Gossip Girl, something there that they've already go. done. All right, Oscar <laughs> Mayer Wiener opens a. Uh, oh yeah, that's that's also pop culture. Airbnb experience. They are giving the uh, an opportunity to book the 27-foot-long hot dog on wheels for an overnight stay in honor of National Hot Dog Day. You can book it next Wednesday, which is National Hot Dog Day, <laughs> and you can do have it for one night, either August 1st, 2nd, or 3rd. That would be kind of fun, really. didn't say where it's going to be at. I didn't read the article far enough to see where they're going to park it at. But I did see a picture of it. They have it, like, opened up with a little patio set in front of it and everything. It looked pretty funny. Right. I thought that was hilarious. So very, very cool. Um, I, you know, why would you want to stay in, in the Wienermobile? Why would anybody want to stay in the Wienermobile? Oh, if you're an Instagram no offense, person or something, Meyer, you, would, you, would, 
you would love that to post on your little feed that you say that. So people are. Well, I gotta go make a reservation, dude. I'm gonna go make a reservation on July 24th. I'm gonna make you a should. reservation for the Wienermobile. <laughs> I don't know why do would it. I want to stay in the Wienermobile. Why would anybody want to stay in the Wienermobile? Uh, let's see what else. Kind of pop culturist, but a little bit of newsish and a little bit of politicalness. Um, El Chapo. Uh, Guzman nice. was finally sentenced today. He was convicted back wow. in February. He was sentenced today to life in prison and a forfeiture of $12.6 billion of what his Holy drug empire was supposedly worth. Shit. Wow, that's a yeah. lot of money. You know, they might want to legalize and make it all legal for him. It would have been a hell of a lot easier. What well, all the rest of these corrupt guys are, are doing their shit. So, yeah, you know, but what's he was the doing heavy stuff. He wasn't doing weed. That's the difference. Uh, no, he, there was some weed involved, but nobody really likes Mexican weed. Nobody really – it's all dirt weed. It's mm-hmm. all, you know, seeds and stems. Nobody really likes it. Um, so right. – but he was doing some weed, but it was mainly cocaine was, was his yeah. deal. And, and you I don't know, think like we said, should legalize, legalize that. Why? Why, dude? Because – Because why? It, it, cocaine I, I was don't... in Coca-Cola. Cocaine was in Coca-Cola when Coca-Cola was originally made. Dude, why why shouldn't it be legal? They put it in every epidural for for women that are having babies. What? Why, why shouldn't it be legal? And then you because don't have a problem anymore. You no longer have dealers. It's just like weed, dude. It's just like weed. You no longer have dealers. You have people that own dispensaries or a place where you go. I don't know what they would call it for cocaine. I have no idea. And and they, and it's the same thing. It's all structured by the. It can be structured by the feds and the FDA. Food and no, Drug Administration. I'm not for it. I don't. Do. I don't hear people that way, doing that way. Weird... You control overdoses and and actually drug use goes down. The drug use that's goes not, down. Prescription drug that's use not goes true. down. Absolutely, dude. Twenty five percent. Absolutely. In every single state, twenty five percent of the drug overdoses went down. Twenty five percent of the prescription drug use went down. All of these things go down. Uh, Domestic violence goes down. Robberies go down. Road rage goes down. All this shit goes down when you legalize. People aren't as they're not oppressed. They're no longer worried about getting pulled over and they can actually go into rehab and be like, I want to be rehabbed because I've got a problem. That's how it should be. Uh, uh, we we can't continue to put people that are nonviolent drug users in jail. Yeah, and we got to make the people isn't that. Cocaine is a nonviolent drug. You you don't hear you hear a lot more about people going wacky on well, cocaine. Well, yeah, because than it's illegal. Because it's illegal. No, when pot was illegal, dude, he had the same violence around it. He had the exact same violence around it. Now you don't. You don't have the same violence around pot in legal states. Nobody's killing each other for a joint. It's not happening. Yeah, I'm, I'm you not do seeing have it. it if it's illegal. Uh-oh. And the same with heroin. Uh-oh. Dude, heroin was developed in 1906 by or 19 yeah 1906 by uh, by Bear Aspirin. Bear Aspirin has the patent on heroin. So it, it's all about you know making sure that the people don't OD on whatever it is that they're doing. And that they have some type of quality of life. So mm. you, you got to know that people are going to get high no matter me. what. Sorry. If it's legal or We're if it's illegal. And if you legalize that good. shit, dude, you get rid of crack. Yeah. You get rid of people um, cooking stuff up in their bathtubs. 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm just not for it. Not not going to be able to change my mind on that one. All right. Um, so so all there's right. still prohibition then. There's still prohibition on on things that are actually natural because heroin is an opioid. It grows naturally out of a poppy plant, and cocaine the same thing grows naturally out of a plant. You think God put it here for for what? So that we could not use it? It's got huge medicinal purposes, dude. Both heroin I, and I don't cocaine. mind it for medicinal huge purposes. Medicinal I don't purposes. think it needs to be a legalized substance, though. It needs to be. I don't. I don't see. There's other benefits besides it. I don't see it. Okay. So, well, we can just continue happen. to kill each other. We can just continue to kill each other over it then, which makes zero sense. Mm. Or get people off of it. That would be even better. No, that's not possible. People get high, dude. People get high. That's it. People get high. And they'll get high off of whatever the hell they can find. A lot of people are right now looking underneath their cabinets and shit for Lysol, which is a joke. So, you know, you want people huffing shit because they can't get a hold of the thing that they, they no, actually want. No, people to getting a life and getting off being high all the time. Oh, dude, want. come on. You can't judge them that way. You can't judge people that way. Well, I guess I, you can. I, I, I I don't know. I just I there I don't any, I don't judge anybody for using any type of drug. I don't. I just don't judge them. I don't judge people. Well, that's not true. Um, I I don't <laughs> mind when people use legal drugs. Stuff. I don't mind when people use legal drugs. I people don't, are abusing I legal mind. drugs all over the place. They're abusing oxycontin. And these people are dying from different drug overdoses that are legal. You know, dude. Right. You can't, so we don't need to add Prince? more to the mix. We're not gonna, I don't want to add more to the mix. It's already there. And it's already there. It's, 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 not, it's not adding more. It's already there. And it will always right. be there. And there will always be, always be guys like El Chapo. Always. As right. long as it's illegal. No. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that, how come the black market weed is, is higher in California than it's ever been since it's legal there, though? Answer me that. I don't know Our, anyone who, is buying, who is buying black market weed, dude. I don't know, who? but it's a bigger seller. It's a no, bigger it's seller because than it's, it's because it's people that are under the age of 21 that are purchasing it. That's all they're selling to. That's it. It's bigger sales. There than is no black market. Though. There is no black market for weed. As far as I am concerned, as a professional freaking stoner, I, there is no black market for weed in California. There is no black market in weed for in Colorado. There is no black market for weed in Nevada. In the other states, of course, there is still because it's illegal. I, I, I think you need to read up on it, my friend. They're just and in the other in the states, LA dude, I just came from Chicago. I just came from Illinois and, and uh-huh. where it's illegal. And there it is actually the exact same price as the dispensaries. I'm not saying that it's a different price. I'm saying that the black market weed is bringing in more. The state is not making as much money as they thought because black market weed is making more money than the state sponsored is. That's what I'm saying. It's not necessarily in. It's not necessarily in California. What you're saying is that California black market weed is making more money. That means that they're shipping it out to, to cities and to states that are illegally that it's still illegal in it. That they still have it illegal. So, yes, they're going to make a shit ton of money black market. 
Absolutely, because they're feeding states like Florida, who are a bunch of dumbasses and don't realize that you know weed grows in a very tropical area very nicely. They can make a shit ton of money. All right, but we're going to have to finish on that because so we're out of time. California weed ends up in Florida. All right, we're done, dude. We are done. Unfortunately, we have 30 seconds left here. So All right. we're going to have to finish on that and bring that back tomorrow. So, cool. guys, we appreciate no, you. You don't sound like you today. want to bring we'll, that back. Yeah, we'll <laughs> definitely bring this back tomorrow. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow at 3 o'clock <clears> Pacific, <throat> 6 o'clock Eastern. Be sure to tune in every Monday through Friday with us. We do appreciate it. We're going to ten- send it over to Randy Slavacek and the Randy Report. Guys, thanks for uh, tuning in. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Peace. Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of TheRandyReport.com, where you can find me every single day on the Internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Today, I'm speaking with acclaimed outsinger-songwriter Tom Goss, who's just released his new single, Keyside, from his upcoming album, Territories. In a departure for the guitar-toting troubadour, Goss explores new musical territory with the single, opting for contemporary synth-pop and guitar instrumentation. Featuring acclaimed songwriter Gregory Douglas and produced by Ian Carmichael, the chill summer song shares the delicate story of entering into a polyamorous relationship. I recently chatted at length with Tom about the new track and how his own perceptions of love and relationships shape the narrative of the upcoming album. A veteran of seven albums, Goss has played over a thousand shows in over a hundred cities around the globe, and his music has been featured on ABC, HBO, and Univision. A college wrestler turned Catholic seminarian turned polyamorous gay songwriter, Goss is well known in the LGBTQ world for his music videos for Bears, Round in All the Right Places, and his cover of the Dusty Springfield classic, Son of a Preacher Man, which reimagines the video as a poignant ballad about two gay teens. Racking up more than 12 million views of his music videos, Goss has been praised by press outlets like the Washington Post, The Advocate, The Daily Beast, Huff Post, Billboard, Instinct Magazine, and more. Let's take a listen to Keyside, and then we'll chat with Tom Goss.
Tom Goss, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Awesome, awesome. You know, I was just checking notes. The first time I interviewed you was 2012. It feels like like that was last year. Doesn't it? That's the way it feels to me. Three times today I was like, next year's 1919. I mean, 2019. (laughs) And I was like, no, it's almost halfway over already. I think we were talking about your album, Lost Songs and Underdogs. That just seems like yesterday to me. It really does. It honestly feels like four lifetimes ago to me. <laughs> Does it really? I, I can imagine it would because, yeah. you know, it's interesting about, I was looking back and, you know, when I first heard your music, I thought, well, I know who Tom Goss is, you know, kind of pop folk, coffee house, guitar toting troubadour, which is a phrase I still love. You know, and I'm thinking rise and come around. And then you did Lost Songs and Underdogs. And I think you went into the woods to record that in a cabin. You got a little yeah. scared. But it was, and you did it all yourself, and, and it yeah. had this intimacy to it. I thought, oh, that's still Tom Goss. It's just a little more in- – this is like coming into this intimate space. You do keep evolving, going different ways. There, there's Bears, which is totally boisterous and everyone loves. Totally, yeah, totally yeah, yeah. not Lost Songs and Underdogs. <laughs> no. <laughs> so every time I think I know where you are musically, you don't like veer left. You kind of like lean into another direction. And so the new song. Just wait until this whole record. It's so different. The new album, Territories, is described as a bold new album that explores exciting creative territories, which already has me intrigued. (laughs) And so I've heard the new song, Keyside. See, I said it right. And I love it musically because this is different. Yeah. Yeah. Which I love, by the way. The production is awesome. It's more pop synth, electronic stuff. Well, what's interesting is a lot of artists can't shift like yeah. that. And it seems totally suitable for you. So tell me how you came about. I'm going to speak to all of this. All of this. There's a lot of things that you just said. Um, but first of all, I'd just like to say, like, as an artist, it's not really interesting. Like, if you get really good at making a grilled cheese sandwich... You're not like, all I want to do for the rest of my life is make this grilled cheese sandwich. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're like, there's other things that I want to make. So you start exploring different different ways to taste and different flavors and all this kind of different things. So for me, creating, I think think when I created Rise and then when I created Back to Love, I, I was like, I think Rise was just kind of me like testing my grounds and Back to Love was kind of me first trying to do it. And I was like, okay, I, I know what I'm doing now. And when I went back to make Turn It Around, it was almost like an extension of Back to Love, which I feel like now as, as – and I also have to say I have no training, no musical training, no Do anything. Really? I'm just like – No. So just so all of the – you're literally watching my development from the jump. So I feel like in retrospect, I feel like that was also a missed opportunity to do something different even. It's really weird to speak about it in retrospect because this is now 10 years ago almost. When I went to do Lost Songs and Underdogs, I was so green and I still had no idea what I was doing that I had to believe that I could actually do it. I was starting to believe that the only reason that the things that I do are good is because of everybody else involved with them. And I ceased to, to recognize as the common denominator in all of the projects, which was me. So Lost Songs and Underdogs was great for that, which gave me kind of a little more courage to go make 
things like bears from a visual perspective and things like weight, which I think is like super fun and a really great triumph as well. And I think weight is probably the record I should have made when I made Turn It Around that had a little more evolution. You know, What Doesn't Break had, a, had an evolution. And, 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 you know, it's also been, oh, 13 years since I made my first record, you know? Yeah. Yes. You know, sound has changed. Production has changed. I have changed. You know, I was... You know, I was even 25 at my first record, so I was pretty old uh, at, at getting started. But yeah, and so for me, I, I've just been like, when I'm listening to music, I'm listening to some more pop music, but also listening to a lot of ambient stuff and a lot of electronic stuff. And really, you know, I think there was a, a, a change sonically when, when, um, when like Lord came out and there's, there's, uh, you know, kind of became the track was, was King in a way, instead of the song was King. And I think that's been interesting and, and detrimental to the music business at the same time. But for me, I do love the production of, of these tracks. And I do love, you know, for me, when I make my records, there's so much in them. It's just like a wall of sound, like smashing. And it's a very a big wall, which is like square. And for this record, I really wanted to round those edges and be really specific with the sounds that I was using and create something that was more like a blanket, less like a wall and more like a blanket. I put out a remix album, I think it was 2014. And I met this, this actually I hadn't even met him yet. Ian Carmichael is his name and he, he's in Manchester and he's brilliant. And he remixed a couple of my tracks and it's, I was just like, this is amazing stuff. This is exactly the kind of sound that I love. And so when I went to, when I went to record this record, I called him up. Well, I shot him an email. We had not even met to be honest. And I, I sent him an email. He was living in Manchester and I was in Europe at the time. And I was like, I'm going to be in London can I hop over to Manchester and can we have lunch? I want to talk to you about this new project. I sent him four demos and I was like, I'm going in a really different direction. And I, you know, we, and then I said, it's going to be a totally different sound. And I think you're the perfect person for this. So we sat down, we just talked for hours and hours and hours about life and about love and about music. And it just seemed like a really wonderful fit. It's been the most, amazing and positive experience from a creation standpoint that I've ever had, because I, 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 don't, I think there might've been one time where we disagreed on the most minor of things, but everything was just constantly in sync. And, and I think what this record does is it takes the, the kind of, the kind of modern track centric music and then blends it with what I think is most important to me and which is, which I think is the most important part of music and art and creation, and that's the story that you're telling. Uh, so it's, it's really focusing on creating a, a really dynamic, engaging, gripping story, and then telling that from start to finish. So that's how I, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but I'm only halfway through. Is that okay? No, no, it's good. It's good. It's, it's my podcast. I can do what I want. Good, good, good. So that's really from the sonic perspective. From the like storytelling perspective, is it just was a really difficult. It's been a really kind of like tumultuous three years or so for me. In in that my my husband, my husband and I opened my relationship, which was very difficult for me. I spent a lot of time struggling with that, and a lot of time just being really introspective, and in a way, just trying to survive and trying to understand, trying to. And obviously, this is all an evolution too. So at the at the at the beginning, really trying to understand 
my role is helping my husband find the thing he was searching for, support him in the changing man that he was becoming. And I was a little lost in knowing where I fit in along those lines. And so I think that that definitely made me a little, well, it definitely made me very introspective and I think changed the ways in which I told stories because it was very painful for me. And I came to a decision early on. I think, I think you see people in the world that are angry and that are hard. And it's obvious that that's coming from a deep place of hurt. And I think I see that within members of my own family and see the, I don't want to say the tendency, but the gene in me to just close and become that. And I made an effort very early on, a conscious decision that my responsibility to myself was to continue to open more and more and more, to love more and more and more, and to not, to try my best not to protect at all. Mm -hmm. You know, people, I can open and people can choose to hurt me, including my husband as a result of that, or my family or whoever. And when you say choose to not protect, you mean protect yourself from harm, I think you mean. No, I don't mean like physical harm. I mean right, emotional harm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like emotional harm. Like, yeah, wall doesn't go up, continue to be open hearted and like say to the world, like, this is me. And, and you don't have to accept that. And you don't have to love that. But I also don't have to take that personally, you know, it's so much easier said than done. So you started like baby steps on this, this journey and baby steps on this, you know, and you also have to understand that Mike's my first boyfriend. Mike's the first person I ever dated. So I think in addition to the emotional fear, there was, a, there was also like a physical intimacy fear in, in my, you know, you're essentially taking, I mean, not, I mean, Mike and I have been together for 10 years, so we obviously have been intimate a lot of times for 10 years. But you're, you're still, you know, you're, you're, it's like you're, you're, it's just one thing all the time, and that's, that's great, but it's also like there's a whole world out there that's very frightening because you have, you live in a society that tells us what sex is and what relationship Mm -hmm. is and what monogamy is and what this is. And and when you come out as gay, you know, a whole bunch of that falls to the ground and you have to learn how to live with that. And when you open your relationship, it does the same exact thing. Like a whole, a whole bunch of those internal constructs that you believe are innate to you, you start having to question, are these innate to me? Are these something that's learned? Is this a learned behavior and is this a learned thought? And so that's really what I was kind of um, struggling through and and kind of like walking through. And in that process, just to simplify things, I I met someone and just like really connected and fell in love. You know, I'm not going to say I don't think. I know that I'm not a person that's interested in in purely physical connections. Does it really work for me? So for me, you know, I want to have, I want to have really impactful emotional experiences as well. So I think for me, the, the idea of physicality and open heartedness is, is very important to me. And, and I want my intimate experiences with my husband or with another person to be really open and connective. 
you know, I met somebody and really connected and fell in love and just kind of started this journey of, of what that means. And it's been really difficult for me, and it's been really difficult for my husband. It's been really hard to understand what that means, because now there's a whole other thing, a set of walls that are falling down, and you're trying to question, you're trying to understand. And so for me, you know, for me, the whole record is really, is really trying to understand how I engage in the world at large in a positive, honest way. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it really puts a spotlight on the openness of the the opening of the relationship and the falling in love with another person and the wanting to be respectful of that person and wanting to be respectful of my husband and wanting to be respectful of me and wanting to be respectful of my lover husband and all of these kind of things. And it just becomes a mindfuck very quickly. I'm glad you mentioned society because I agree completely that society is what puts these things on us. And that goes back to, I've said for many, many years, you know, the negative effects of how we view ourselves as LGBTQ people is all derived of how society views or treats the community at large. And so we, when we're dealing with even just being gay, as you mentioned, that's your first step. When we're dealing with that, we're dealing with that because it's a learned thing and, and we've seen, it's like racism also. Like I was writing earlier today about racism and there was a video clip from 1978 and these kids attacking black kids that were moving into a middle-class neighborhood in, in New York and, and the look in these black kids' eyes and they knew that it was a learned thing from the white kids. You know, the, the white kids were like kicking them and yelling at them, get out of our neighborhood and stuff. And, but that's something those kids learned. And so then you come out as gay, and, you know, a big part of coming out is, you know, what will our parents think? And we worry about our parents because they have this learned thing by society. They're worried for us in, in the, for the most part. You know, I think there are yeah. levels to what happens in it, you know, how they feel about it personally, but also how they feel that society will treat us. And then you get into being the idea of polyamorous, which, by the way, I looked up just so people that are listening know, I looked up the definition of polyamory or being polyamorous. It's interesting when you read the actual words, polyamorous is the practice of intimate relationships with more than one partner with the consent of all partners involved. It's been described as consensual, ethical, and responsible non-monogamy. I like that language because yeah, it's, sure. it's honesty, and it's another thing that happens in the gay community is that we, we hear the word heteronormative, that are we aping our gay men or lesbians or transgender, bisexual, are we aping what we've learned from society? And that's a question I don't know. I mean, I got married. I got married in Canada to Michael, my husband who you know, in 2003 before it was even legal in the United States. And I remember I was in uh, the National Touring Company of Chicago, the musical for a change, um, which I did for like eight years off and on. And we were in Toronto and it occurred to me two days before getting married that, oh, I should probably take the night off because I was a guy marrying another guy. and, (laughs) And like I, I didn't even know what the rules, like if two guys are getting married, like do we treat this the same? Or, and do you know the cast, you know, in the theater community is very gay accepting. Yeah, yeah. Practically no one said congratulations. And they um, knew it was happening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like oh, it felt it. taboo because no one knew what to do. It was 2003. 
So the reason I say yeah. all this, though, is like going back to you know society and how they do this, and then you reach this kind of new level with having you know opening a relationship, which I think is awesome. As long as everyone's on board, I think it's awesome. I really do. We don't need to follow like some other rules or something, but I can understand. It's also like in the past couple of years, the idea of being transgender, totally different topic. But notice how in the past few years we've discussed what being transgender is and the fact that transgender people have existed through history. But now we're talking about it openly on newscasts and in podcasts and all of this. And, and it's, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just aware of how society is – I don't know if it's them evolving. I don't know if it's the internet offering us opportunities to learn and explore and in terms of knowledge – we Google things now. I just think it's just one more thing that – and I like the fact that you're writing – that you're putting this music out there and that you're sharing this because it is something people should talk about because it, yeah. I think it's good, to be honest with you. As it, one, communication is good, and two, that you're putting a light on this, and I know you said in a, in a tweet recently that you were nervous about talking about these things, but I think it's a really good thing. I do. Sure. No, and I think so too. I, I mean, I have have so many comments. Everything you said, and I, I forgot half of them. But, but <laughs> well, you're smarter think, than me, so just jump in. I think the conversation is the most important part because if we, re- you know, regardless of of how we feel about the societal rules, they're they're there. The rules and mores are there. But if we really start breaking down what it actually is, you know, the majority of heterosexual relationships are open relationship as well because because somebody's cheating on the other person. Or they get divorced. Right. They, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, and I'm not saying that's the equivalent of an open relationship, but there certainly are ways in which people change and ways in which people's needs change and ways in which people's husbands or wives or partners stop meeting the needs in the same way. And I think that was the really hard thing for me is the idea of how do I not take that personally? I, I, I'm not blaming myself for, for, how, for how things went down. Or, or anybody. I'm just saying that my husband needed something that I wasn't providing. And I'm not saying that to shame myself. I'm just saying that he was going through something and changing. And he needed to explore something, which, which then I started exploring. And then I realized that I was not being, my needs weren't being addressed in a certain way. And so then I started, you know, and so then it just becomes this kind of free fall of, of trying to understand your needs while trying to be respectful of, of your husband's needs in the, in the heterosexual community doesn't really do that effectively because there's there's a a lot of there's a lot of ideas I think mostly about jealousy and ownership and I'm not really sure where they come from or if that's innate but but there's something that I I feel like is is entirely unnatural about jealousy I'm not sure it's natural I haven't I I have plenty of jealousy but I but it's it's always a process of me exploring it like why am I jealous about this especially men over women you know and and I think that it's really great. That, that we, you know, everywhere you go right now, you see Pride stuff. I mean, Pride Month is bigger than Women's Month. Oh, my gosh. African-American Month. It's like everything is gay right now, and it's kind of mind-blowing to me. But I do think that there's a flip side to that in the acceptance of it by the society at large also kind of starts pushing those norms onto us in a way in which we think, well, now we're accepted, so now we can live like that. When I see documentaries of, like, 
the gays in the in the 50s or 60s or 70s. I'm not idealizing the situation. Like I'm sure it was really, really, really hard. But when I see the way in which they loved and the free freeness in which they loved, it's really appealing to me. It almost always moves me to tears because it seems like we have to do this thing our own way. And we had to be so militant about it because, frankly, it was a life and death situation. Right. And now, now we could be really passive about it. And I'm not sure that's the best way. I, I'm not a militant at all, you know. But I, but I also want to talk about it, and I also, I also am happy to fight for the things that I love. So, you know, it's interesting you say that because with it being Pride Month, like every day, literally, I am writing about Pride this, Pride this, and and also I'm, I'm relating things to the issue, whether it's for Instinct Magazine or the Randy Report. And one of the things that that is interesting to me is. You know, you mentioned like the 50s and 60s when it was really kind of underground, those kind of relationships. You know, Edie Windsor was with her wife for decades, long before they could ever get married. But then Stonewall happens. They'd had enough. The uprising happens. And then the 70s, for about 10 years, it was like gays got to come out a bit. And you saw a whole lot more. You saw, uh, you know, Matt Baum has this great series of videos where he talks about instances of people – mentioning gayness in uh, television episodes in the 70s. And this was the first this or the first this and why it was significant. And he's a really good storyteller. I love what Matt does is, but that was the 70s. And then the AIDS crisis happens. And what I've come to really understand is part of the reason, well, first of all, people were dying. And I I underscore that word as, as heavily as I possibly can. I was there. I was in New York City. At the time, I was in New York City in the mid 80s. I moved to New York City in 1985. And back in the day, you would hear of someone being diagnosed, and weeks later, they were gone. Gone. And I say that only because, so we had this underground thing. The 70s was this, this sense of freedom. And, there was, and then the AIDS epidemic, suddenly we were being demonized again. And they were saying, you know, absence is the only way. And when you see members of ACT UP getting mad in video clips and stuff, they were mad because it was all interpreted as you're taking this away from us again. And that's where kind of the militantism came from because they're like, we stood up in 69. It's 20 years later now, 89. We're not going to do it again. And so at first we kind of fight for it, and then we kind of get there, and we think, well, is this really us? Maybe as gay couples, we do open relationships because we can be mature enough to know my needs aren't being met. This doesn't mean I don't love my husband. It's just there's a need not being met, and I think that's a valid thing. I really do. Well, I I feel like you know, in many ways, it's a it's a much more valid option than you know (laughs) what I've seen of, of of my my parents. What I see of my friends' parents or my contemporaries in, in, in the, the staleness of the relationship or the, the acceptance of, of it is what it is, you know, and maybe, maybe that's, that's the difference. Gay people always are, are searching for the thing that's better because it's harder, you know, and that's just the truth of the matter. So maybe that's it. I'm always aspiring for to make myself better, to make my relationship better, to make the world a better place, and that. That, that's important to me in all aspects of, of the world. Right. And, you know, the important thing about this whole topic of polyamory, which I read the definition, which I really liked it, is 
ethical, consensual, open, honest. You know, you mentioned how many – I think when the straight world, which I hate saying it that way, but for lack of better language right now, when they look at gays and they th if they think that we're being, I don't know what, uh, promiscuous or something, but I, I think there's a big difference if you are being honest with your partner and saying, we're going to do this, but we're going to be honest with each other. You know, I remember – because, you know, my husband, Michael, is very flirtatious with everyone, and, and being charming and flirtatious is, is a gift of Michael's. And I remember early on, people used to say to me all the time, well, doesn't that make you jealous, or doesn't that bother you? And it would end up being a, a two-pronged answer for me, because I would say, well, no, because I happen to know that he's still walking into walls. He's so in love with me, and I, I do believe that. But also, I remember telling people, if he were to meet someone and fall in love and feel like he needed to be elsewhere, then I would want him to go. Like, I don't want anyone to stay in a relationship with me if that's not what they want. But it's mm -hmm. a matter of trust that brings all those threads together. I, I think that's true, too. And I think that was really how I got through it. Just like, I have to be trusting in this moment. And I have to trust the love that... I share with my husband and the, the, the love that we've had over this past decade and the strength in which that holds. And that was really helpful in me moving forward as well. Every relationship is about trust to some degree, or there's an element of trust. And especially if you're married, you have to trust that. Or if you don't, then the lack of trust is a big question that people need to be exploring right yeah. there. That, that's its own thing. I think it's even bigger. I think the lack of trust is the thing that's the, the hardest. And I think it's great that Mike could open up to you, and I can only imagine the the journey that was through so many parts of – through Mike and you and your heart, your mind, how we process things. At some point, do we wonder what will people think maybe? What do I think? Yeah, then I'll, let's I'll try it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, and, and it's yeah. – yeah. It's it's weird, especially being a semi-public figure. No, you're a public you know figure. I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's it, you know how do I engage in this? And and I think that's what always makes me a little more thoughtful and intentional than than maybe my husband or maybe other people in 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 the same arrangement is. You know, I I know words going to get out whether I want it to or not. You know what I mean? And I know that other stories are going to get out whether I want it to or not. So I have to be really intentional and honest in, in how I act. So you're going to address it first. Is that why you're talking about this now? Um, I mean, I'm talking about it because I made a really fucking awesome record. Awesome. <laughs> Great I answer. Mean, yeah. I, I, you know, and that's, that's the way that I feel. I'm so proud of this record. And I've never, I've never heard anything like it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there we go. Let's do it then. You know, and I've never shied away from saying something differently in my career. So I love how many bear performers there are right now and how many people express their love of bears. But let's not forget where that started, my friend. You if, know you, I mean? if you hadn't opened the door to the whole yeah. topic, I mean, not to, to assign sole credit, but if you hadn't opened the door to this that, that topic for bears yeah. with bears and also – your song from a year or two ago, um, Round in All the Right Places, yep. about how body positive and, and not like having to be West Hollywood Twinkies or gym bodies or something. I mean, you, you do open the door. And also, you know, going back to, I have to say, you are the only 
musician I have ever spoken to about uh, any of Plato's allegories. Uh, because I remember when we first interviewed back in 2012, uh, it was uh, Love Songs and – The Dawn Underdog, of Man. And the Dawn of Man, and you yeah. started talking to me, and you said, well, I was thinking a lot about the allegory of the cave by Plato, and in the allegory – and you started – I don't even – I didn't even know what the allegory of Plato and the cave was, and you like explained it. I remember being on the other end of the phone, going, "This is just over my head." I like the song. <laughs> I like, and it's a cool song. And you explained it to me, and you talked about men in caves and the fire, and they see the shadows, but you walk them out to the light, and there's a whole new world. See, I learned something from you. Yeah, but like of you, you are. You've always been thoughtful, and you express things in really, really cool ways. And uh, yeah. even if the audience doesn't know we're talking about Plato's allegory, um, sure. I think an audience always gets a depth of what something means to the artist. And I think an audience knows yeah. that. I think an audience knows when you're coming from a sense of truth and, and something really important to you. I, I totally agree, and I think that, that with this record, too, lyrically, I was really conscious of that as well. Like, I'm conscious of painting a picture that maybe people aren't going to understand, but that people are still going to feel. How do you paint a picture that's, that's so visceral that they can't help but feel it, whether or not they understand what a key side is? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, in the yeah. song, I even notice there are things that songwriters do structurally. They can – you repeat things uh, at times to lend emphasis to something. And I notice in Keyside, like towards the end, you, you keep repeating a phrase. I've listened to the song a few times. I, I really like it. How I long to do it. How I long to do this right. Yeah. And, it, yeah. It, and at times it sounds like a question, and at times it sounds like a statement. And well, in repetition – yeah. yeah, yeah, and I get that. I, I get, but but by repeating it, there's a sense of conflict and uh, yeah. involved. And that's yeah. what I get. Oh, look at me! I'm I, I'm I'm like figuring out you some of us. I'm yeah, like paying yeah. attention. But the song finishes, and I go, okay, I want to hear the rest of the album now. Yeah, because there's definitely no resolution. <laughs> yeah, there's no resolution. I'm gonna look. I think it's actually like eleven, eleven. So the new single's out June 28th, but when does the album come out? October. So we have this single. The video will come out on July 11th uh, for that, for Keyside. Then in late August, we'll have an, another single for a song called La Bufador. One of the interesting things about this record is not only, obviously, we've talked about it being emotionally, um, a, a journey emotionally, but I also just was doing so much travel. All of these songs really are places. So Keyside is, is London. La Bufadora is La Bufadora, which is in Mexico. It's a, it's a place. Um, there's Amsterdam's on this record. Siem Reap's on this record. Berlin's on this record. So it's a really kind of an, an interesting emotional, sonic, and actual physical journey as well. So La Bufadora will come out in August. There's, there's a version of that in English and Spanish. And then the, the full record will come out in October. This first song really sets the stage to make me want to lean in and listen. Absolutely. I should mention that you do have some concert dates this summer. Uh, one in Las Vegas, I just saw. Well, I'm playing at uh, Bigger Vegas, which is an event for big men and their admirers. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. And you're playing, you're doing a, a river cruise in Prague later in the yes. year. How super cool uh, is that? It's really fun. So it's, it goes from Prague to Budapest, and so I'll be doing that. And there will be a lot of dates starting to be announced um, in the next couple of weeks as I do – 
as I as I do release shows for this record. So I'll be in L.A., San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis, Austin, D.C., New York. I probably missed some places, but just keep an eye out. Well, you are the tour king. You've never been afraid of the road. Like you are out there. And you I, always have I, been. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's my it's my favorite. I haven't been on the road enough, actually. So I'm ready to get back. Thank you for taking the time. This is my first interview about this in this way. So it's great to have a friend to start chipping away at this. Because it is scary. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. I've just admired your writing for so long and your performing. And, you know, one thing I should say about that performing, and we're just talking about concert dates, I do tell people all the time, people who love your music, and I'm like, no, 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 wait. Wait, have you seen him live? Because... (laughs) I had not seen you live until you played Las Vegas the last time. I, I, I had never seen uh, you live. Well, you heard Berlin then, and you heard Be Somebody, which is both on these records, around the piano, yeah. Yeah, because you went to the piano in the lobby and played one mm-hmm. of the songs for us. Do tell people, though, that they can think they understand Tom Goss, but until they see you. My friend Larry, who uh, is the writer and editor of TheOutfront.com, uh, I've oh, gotten to know in the past, and he saw you in New York. And he was going, yeah. and I said, oh, wait till you see Tom. And he, he comes back and goes, oh, my God, I think I embarrassed myself because I liked it so much. Like, <laughs> and, and, and I can't remember. If, I think people need to see you. It's great to buy the record. If, you know, in case Tom isn't coming, buy the record no matter what. But uh, I do think seeing you in, in person is, is a whole other thing and your energy. And, and you, know, you know what we don't get is uh, you're an awesome guitar player. You know, you say you have no training. I was not prepared for like – I was like, well, look at him. Like, you know, I knew you played guitar, obviously, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like you're really good at it. And, and like you. you know what to do with it, and you're funny with the audience. And... Do you want to hear something crazy? There's pretty much no guitar on this entire record. No. Yeah, it's all at the keyboard. My new show's like a keyboard and drums and loops. It's crazy. Awesome. It's so different. Yeah. You're like the keyboard-toting troubadour now. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a hassle because I'm like, I got all this fucking new equipment I have to lug. It's so all easy. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're going to have yeah. to think about how you do shows now. Like, like I know. It's like I'm building this whole thing so I can get it on planes and stuff. It's really annoying. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is interesting. Whole new way of doing a Tom, Go- Tom Goss concert. Absolutely. <laughs> I do it myself, yeah. Thank you so much for chatting. I love it. I love the new song, and I look forward to the album and I just think you're awesome. Thank you. I think you're awesome, too. And, and you heard Be Somebody, which is both on these records, around the piano. Yeah. Yeah, because you went to the piano in the lobby and played one mm-hmm. of the songs for us. Do tell people, though, that they can think they understand Tom Goss, but until they see you. My friend Larry, who uh, is the writer and editor of TheOutfront.com, uh, I've oh, gotten to know in the past, and he saw you in New York, and he was going, yeah. and I said, oh, wait till you see Tom. And he he comes back and goes, oh, my God, I think I embarrassed myself because I liked it so much. Like, and, and, and I can't remember. If, I think people need to see you. It's great to buy the record. If, you know, in case Tom isn't coming, buy the record no matter what. But uh, I do think seeing you in, in person is, is a whole other thing and your energy. And, and you, know, you know what we don't get is uh, you're an awesome guitar player. You know, you say you have no training. I was not prepared for like, I was like, well, look at him. Like, you know, I knew you played guitar, obviously, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like you're really good at it. And, and like, you know what to do with it. And you're funny with the audience. And you want to hear something crazy? There's pretty much no guitar on this entire record. No. 
Yeah, it's all at the keyboard. My new show's like a keyboard and drums and loops. It's crazy. Awesome. It's so different. Yeah. You're like the keyboard toting troubadour now. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> It's a, it's kind of a hassle because I'm like I got all this fucking new equipment I have to lug. It's so all easy. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're gonna have to think about how you do shows now. Like, like I know it's like I'm building this whole thing so I can get it on planes and stuff. It's really annoying. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is interesting. Whole new way of doing a Tom Goss, Tom Goss concert. Absolutely. I it myself. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting. I love it. I love the new song and I look forward to the album. And I just think you're awesome. Thank you. I think you're awesome too. I want to thank Tom for speaking so candidly and directly about all the topics we just covered. And I want to remind you that Keyside is now available on all digital download sites. I'll have a link in the show notes. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mind sharing The Randy Report with your friends. I like to think of this podcast as the 60 minutes of gay news, usually shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. I'm going to play out with just a little bit more of Tom Goss's new single, Keyside. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time.
Welcome to Astro Kiki Radio. We are the e-news of astrology. Today, we'll be diving into the cosmic guidance from the stars, celebrities, and entertainment lifestyle. Thanks for joining us, and let's see what the universe has in store. It's that time of the week again where we here at Astro Kiki Radio break the stars above and the stars below right down for you. We are the e-news of astrology. My name is Kyle Thomas and I'm a pop culture astrologer. You may know me from some of my interviews with mainstream publications like Cosmo, Bustle, Marie Claire, and more. As well as now, I am the resident astrologer for Horoscopes and Horoscopes Daily on Instagram. We are so grateful to be partners with them now and honored to be working with them and we'll be releasing all sorts of different content in the weeks and months ahead. This week on Astro Kiki Radio, we have some huge astrological news in store for each and every one of you, as well as some inside Hollywood gossip and, of course, a lovely celebrity guest here on air with us today. We are broadcasting from my home in the Hollywood Hills. Sam, take it away. Hey guys, Sam Davidson here. Super excited to chat with you guys this week. Entertainment news journalist, celebrity gossip junkie. I love it all and I love you guys for listening. And I, of course, love astrology. I'm super excited to be sitting here with our special celebrity guest, Brandon Liberati. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. We're very, very excited to have you. So you do so many cool things. I'm just going to chat with you for a couple minutes about what it is. So you're an international celebrity hairstylist, beauty style influencer, and television personality. And you're one of the most well-known hairstylists working with some of the top TV, movie, music, and Broadway stars. Yes. Very impressive. I love it. in a nutshell. Yeah. Like some of your clients are people on shows like American Horror Story, Two Broke Girls, American Housewives, Will and Grace. And you also um, had your own hit reality show, Newlyweds, the first year. And you've appeared on Shaws of Sunset, Watch What Happens Live, American Beauty Star, BuzzFeed, RuPaul's Drag Race, Drag You, and now, of course, Astro Kiki Radio. Yeah, see, this, this completes my journey right here. Yes. Um, Bravo, yeah, Bravo's a huge part of my career, and I think because I did have a reality show on Bravo, that uh, I, a lot of those Bravo lebs are attracted to me because, you know, it's, it's, it is a family, and it's definitely its own um, we know what we go through on there. It's it's like a cult, a cult network. It yeah. really is. So. It's very cool. Well, I'm a big fan of Bravo. Are you into astrology at all? Is that your thing? I love astrology with my hands. Yeah, oh my I have, Yeah, I have symbolism all over. I love astrology. I'm. Um, it, it'll be fun to get into, you know, what what I think about it, and to learn from you and see if if how I use it in my life is correct. And for, sure. uh, for everyone listening, you are the husband and partner of our lovely guest last week, right? He's lovely. He's amazing. <laughs> Craig is fantastic. We love just, Craig. Uh, I mean, it, it's funny because it's like it's so wonderful to to have this show and be connecting with such incredibly talented and sweet people, and you know, just through the network of meeting more wonderful and sweet people, and it's just. I don't know. I just it, every week it's so cool to have this experience and really feel like we're really connecting on such a great level with so many people. Craig is one of the nicest people I've ever met. So yeah, he's such a good guy. I'm very fortunate, and we couldn't be more different. Not that I'm not a nice guy, but we're we're very different from each other. So it really works. I yeah, he's he's great. Well, I'm so excited to get into you two as well, since you know we know Craig from last week. So does our audience. 
So it's going to be really exciting to talk about. Before we get into our top celebrity stories of the week and then your chart, we are going to get into our weekly forecast. Kyle, it's the shit show of a week is what you've been saying? Yeah. I mean, I warned everybody, you know, a couple of months back, you know, I usually look into the stars for at least a year ahead, especially if I'm writing a book, which I'm actually in the process of looking at a few different kind of deals and plans that I'm going to be doing for next year and mapping out the stars and all of that. And so we as astrologers, we can kind of see which months are going to be like the best. Like for instance, for everyone, September and August are going to be so lovely and so magnificent. And, you know, I'm excited to, to put that out there because I knew that July was going to be an effing shit show. And so did every astrologer that's out there because we see that there's the Mercury retrograde going on. We have eclipses. Eclipses are always throwing dust into the air. You know, sometimes when we have these more difficult aspects, I, I refer to them as like a, a, cosmic, a cosmic storm. We're in this cosmic storm, this cyclone. And, you know, because there's different processes of it. You know, at the beginning, you kind of like feel it like approaching and you're like, oh shit, what's, you know, what's out there? Then we're in the middle of it, which is right now. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we get through it. It's just like if you're walking through, if you could walk through a tornado, if that makes sense. You know? That sucks, Kyle. That is so sad. I it, It's terrifying. It doesn't scare me, though. And that's one thing that I've been trying to, like, hopefully, you know, show you is that even, even when we have some of these more difficult or harsher aspects, they're here to challenge us so we can grow and evolve. And sometimes they're, they're not even that difficult because if you're doing the work on yourself all the time and you're growing and you're happy in your relationships, it's not just going to make something to, like, be destroyed because, you know, for, for instance, like, with with the eclipses for the Capricorns and the Cancers right now, anyone that is in a shitty relationship, or maybe not even shitty, just maybe not they're not supposed to be together, they're breaking up right now. But the people that are in good relationships, they're growing closer. They're talking about getting engaged, or they are engaged, or they are married, or they're having a baby, or, you know, there's all these wonderful things, and that's because they put effort into their relationships and they're in a solid partnership. Does that make sense? Yes. How often does something like what's going on right now happen in astrology? Is it something that happens a couple times a year, or is it too a little more often? Rare? Too often. It's, I always say it's like going to the dentist. Every time you go, you're like, didn't I just go to the freaking dentist? I swear to God, I just went. And it's, I mean, it's quarterly, basically. Well, it, I mean, the thing is that the planets are always moving. So it's not like you can always you know, assume like, oh, it's summer, we're going to have a Mercury retrograde. It doesn't always work that way. You know, we can look at the different, you know, the movements of the sun and know that that's going to be the same every year. That's why we know our sun sign and our birthdays. But when we have different things like a Mercury retrograde, well, that usually retrogrades roughly about three to four times a year. And we usually have roughly about four-ish eclipses a year, sometimes five, sometimes it could be even more than that. Uh, but it wouldn't be more than, I'm assuming, like even six. I don't think I've seen that before. I'd have to look back. But mm-hmm. but that basically, you know, we, we do know that these things, because they're, they're rotating, they're moving, you know. Um, the eclipses are actually going backwards in the zodiac. So, you know, right now, or before, a couple years ago, we were in Aquarius and Libra. And then they moved into, now they're in Cancer and Capricorn. Well, then next year, we get the first Sagittarius and Gemini axis moving forward on that time, too. And then it's just going to keep going backwards again. So then after that, that's going to be Scorpio and Taurus, and then it's going to be Aries and Libra. So it's, it's just always kind of moving that way. And then we look at all of the other planets like Jupiter, like 
that goes retrograde at different times. And so, yeah, it's very complicated. And that's why we're here to, you know, essentially do the work for you, just to kind of show you where the openings and the closings are. So, Fascinating. I know. I, I love it. It just makes me so excited. So, <laughs> all right, let's, let's dive into this week. So, we touched a little bit last week about how there is the full moon lunar eclipse in Capricorn on July 16th. So, that energy is really going to be spilling out through the entire week. You know, full moons are always connected to a corresponding new moon. In this case, it'd be a solar eclipse in the same sign in that year. So, you know, we basically start things on the new, the, the solar eclipse, the new moon, you know, so look back around uh, January 5th to be like, who were you talking to? What were you doing? What projects were in motion? You know, you're going to see the efforts of those kind of come into this abundance or this harvest mode now so you can actually continue on your path and, and reap those rewards or shift your direction. Well, That's what the corresponding full moon is. So Kyle gives really good advice that, you know, it's like you're a little kid and you go, yeah, I know you're right and you don't take it. And then you that time comes and you go, damn, I, I wish I would have done that. Kyle writes down what he does mm-hmm. in bullet points, even if it's something small, even if he does nothing, every single day in his calendar. So at times like these, he can go back and see what he was doing then. Yeah, I was just going to say, I can't remember what I what I did yesterday. I mean, seriously, it's right here. Like, it's oh, Instagram and Facebook are everything. the only ways I can track anything you know, like that. Yeah, everything is documented. Who I talk to, if I like meet with this. So for instance, like the other podcasting that we're talking about, I wrote that down today that like, oh, we got to introduce about that. Well, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is all, you know, oh, going to like be correlated. It's a fascinating journal. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's why the funny thing is it's like if I know that, you know, I was talking to a business contact, you know, someone that I haven't reached out to in that rough time, and I'll be like, well, hey, maybe I need to reconnect with them. And then maybe they hire me or... You know, maybe they open a door, or if there's even a lover or someone, you know, like, maybe you reconnect, or whatever that be. Or maybe you take your relationship to the next level. Like, everything is divinely connected. And so that's why I just think it's really beautiful. How inspiring. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I know. You say you will, and then, like me, you don't do it. the note to my phone. Yeah. Work for me. Exactly. Totally, totally. Well, you know, going back to the eclipse, so... This eclipse is three times more powerful than a full moon. And you know how people are on full moons? It's like, oh, shit, I'm feeling crazy or horny or angry or impulsive or whatever, crying. I mean, none of those things were ever me. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, you know, so this is actually even more intense for people at this point in time because we're really seeing, like, a very, you know, rare phenomenon in the year. So, you know, this is going to be really, really powerful in culminations endings and achievements for everyone in this area of your life. So, you know, look at like what you've been building, you know, the long-term structures and build it, like the plans that you've been uh, creating in your life, even in relationships and in whatever that longevity here that you've been investing your time and energy within, you're going to either receive, receive those rewards or you're going to have to shift your, your path and plan with it. So, you know, really be thinking now this week, how are you leaving your impact on the world? And so for me, right, I mean, I when I started my job last year, mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. missed Comic-Con because I just started around this time. Mm-hmm. And it was always going to be a thing if I hopefully was still going to be there like I am right now. We were going to go do Comic-Con. I've been working so hard, full force, to get into all of the press rooms, get the biggest celebrities, all of it, and I leave in two days. And this is, I keep on getting scared about Comic-Con, but I'll, actually this is a good time because everything I've worked for 
is kind of coming to light, right? Well, the you had an eclipse in your career sector at the beginning of this month. Mm-hmm. So it's it, with it being an eclipse, it's a powerful energy, and it's, you know, some, like usually I feel like a normal new moon is going to last for very specifically in that certain like ten days that are after that, but the power of, of an eclipse lasts for six months. It's like the theme of your life. So if you're going into eclipses in your career, the whole effing year is going to be crazy big with career stuff. If you're going into eclipses where it's love or children, like it's a longer big theme and process for you. So that's why, yes, you're very fortunate and massively fortunate for, because we have to look back, but I'm pretty sure you found out about going to Comic-Con after that eclipse happened. Yeah, it was, well, I mean, like you said, what were you doing January, like, around then, and I I think that is when I kind of got... Oh, really? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I think around then I got approved for Comic-Con, and um, now I'm I'm going in a couple of days. No, then you're absolutely right. Don't be scared, girl. Yeah. I got this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. Sorry, I was was missing up some of those dates just for you, because I was not sure when you were approved for it, but... But yeah, no, I mean, you're, yeah, that's exactly a perfect example. Another thing for me, I'll use a tangible example, is so I have been doing astrology and involved in entertainment for, you know, pretty much my whole life. And in some capacity, either if I was just like studying spirituality growing up or like being an actor of things when I was younger. But, you know, I've always been involved in Hollywood. Well, I actually, this eclipse very affects my career and also publications for me. So I... I started writing a ton of stuff for Bustle and all those publications back in December and then launching them right after the eclipse. Now, I literally had 12 published like yesterday. That's amazing. Like, it, so that's just, it keeps building and that's what I'm saying. It's like, hell yeah, I was working my ass off and it's like working. It's Very so interesting cool. because I, I don't know what my chart is, obviously. Yeah, you yeah. Can help me with that. But this last month, it's been the same thing. Like, I had three publications come out in one day. Like, yes. it, my work has been flowing so easily. So it kind of gives me perspective on maybe what I was working on. <laughs> right? Yeah. Totally, totally. totally. Right maybe totally. next time we'll remember and we'll start writing this yes, down. Yes. Well, you know, just do whatever works for you. No, I'll do it. You know, I just don't like being told what to do, and I'll right. one day be like, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, you know, whatever. But like I said, whatever <laughs> literally works for you. So there's other two. There's two other days that I do want to bring attention to in this week. The 17th is going to feel a bit heavy because we have Venus, the planet of love and money. It's going to be feeling cold and bummed out <laughs> due to a clash with Saturn, which is the planet of obstacles and hardship. So this may mean that some people are feeling very deflated on this day, especially in relation to their love life or relationships. So don't worry, though. If the things are kind of rough, it'll pass. It'll be fine. However, on the 18th, Venus, our sweet planet of love, will be smiling over to Neptune, which is the planet of imagination and faith. Even though we had a, you know, this sad energy just right before, we actually have an opportunity for happiness. And this is one of the most romantic and creative vibrations we can have in a year. So literally plan something super special around here because this is a magical time for romance and relaxing. You know, you're almost going to feel like something special is in the air. Some people legitimately have the opportunity to like meet a soulmate or like fall in love. Like that's just kind of like this very vibrant and, and, and colorful, you know, romantic and passionate energy and also creative, like I said. You know, so there's that. Enjoy yourself and if you're single, do try to meet someone now. So me. But you're at Comic-Con then. You yeah. should definitely, yo, you try to meet, oh, but Neptune also rules, okay, no, this is funny, okay, so for her, the way I can break this down specifically, 
is so Venus is your ruler because you're Libra, and then Neptune is also what rules Hollywood. So those things aligning, it literally means that you can meet someone in Hollywood that's really legitimately in your industry. Well, let's hope Definitely. he's not wearing a mask because <laughs> I don't want any surprises when I get back home. But it would be lovely, you know, Batman. He could be Batman. He could be the Joker. As long as he doesn't work out in front of Grauman's Chinese Theater, yes. he can be Batman. Yeah, <laughs> right. right? Oh, yeah, yeah totally, totally. Okay, well, blom, I'll blom. keep you guys posted about this Comic-Con romance. That's very exciting. Mm-hmm. All right. Does that wrap us up for our, our weekly forecast? Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, next is my personal favorite segment, which is our pop culture stories of the week. We are going to be right back, so stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to Astro Kiki Radio. We are going to get into the top three stories of the week as well as our celebrity WTF. So first we're going to talk about some good news in Hollywood. YouTuber Gigi Gorgeous marries Nats Getty. So I didn't even know that she was with someone or engaged for a while. I'm obsessed with her. I think she's so cool. I interviewed her on a red carpet last fall. I didn't I'm not in that world of YouTuber beauty, but I thought she was just one of the most beautiful, coolest people I'd ever met. Um, She, if you guys don't know her, look her up. Absolutely beautiful. She's a model and designer, and she married someone named Nat Getty, who is in the Getty family fortune. Very, very rich woman. Uh, Let's just put it out there. Uh, Gigi's a Taurus. She is looking for that money and stability, and she got it. But she, she has also, it too. Every time I've I've ran into her, she's she's not somebody that sits in the corner. She will come straight up to like if you're with somebody that she wants to meet. Gigi she, or no? Gigi. Okay. Gigi. Yeah. She's she'll come straight up. She's she's very forward. So okay. I really like her. I did not know she was with somebody because every time I've seen her, she's you know, just been with her friends. Yeah, work in the room, you know, just trying to make those contacts. But, yeah, she (laughs) is married. They had a very beautiful wedding on July 12th in Montecito, California. A lot of, like, prominent party guests were there, including YouTuber Candy Johnson, um, Hannah Hart, Grace Helbrig, BeautyCon CEO, uh, Maj Madera, so many people um, who else. Randomly, actress Terry Hatcher from Desperate Housewives. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, singer Bonnie McKee, who also performed, and here's a little bit of their relationship timeline because I always find it interesting when Kyle digs into that to see like how things were going for them. So at the end of 2016, Gigi, Gigi announced that they were going to split up. They had been dating for a little under a year, I think. Um, they still loved each other but needed some space. Just a few weeks later after that, they were back together. And so now at this point, they've been dating for about three years. And in March of 2018, the couple took their relationship to the next level and they got engaged. And as I said before, Nats is the heir to the Getty billion-dollar fortune and her uncle is the owner of Getty Images as well. So these two seem extremely happy. Those photos that they have all over, I think people got the exclusive. I can't remember. They're beautiful. Everyone needs to check them out. But what is their compatibility like, Kyle? Well, did you want to say something before I we I was just going to say, I, what I love about this is, you know, Gigi is, is such an amazing transgender um, activist, and the fact that 
he married her, um, and and it's such a public family. I just I, I think it's a lot of um, there's so much hidden shame that goes on with a lot of the transgender people I know in their relationships, and this is a, a serious issue that's talked about all the time. So I think it's it's fabulous that she found somebody that um, yeah, it's, it's I love it so public with with all of it. It's great. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, let's dive right into here. So, this is an exciting time for the pair. Gigi Gorgeous is a Taurus, as I mentioned before, and Nath Getty is a Sagittarius. So this couple is not your expected match because Taurus and Sagittarius don't often align, most of all. But that means that they challenge each other to new adventures. So, you know, that's really, I think, a lovely thing. Usually Taurus, which is Gigi, craves more security and stability than Sagittarius, which is Nat but we don't see their rising signs, so there could actually be some other factors at play. For instance, your chart with Craig, I, I looked into that a little bit, and just, just like a real quick, just glance at it, and I was like, because at first I was like, okay, how are they together? And then I was like, okay, totally. So, but we'll, we'll talk, yeah, we'll talk about that later. And it's so cute. I just, yeah, I like, talked to her a little bit about it before. So, yeah. The next thing I note for them is that their moon signs are actually extremely compatible. Gigi, has a Sagittarius moon, whereas Nats has an Aquarius moon. This alignment between them means that at the end of the day, they can have fun relating, and their way of connecting emotionally will often be direct and forthright. And they'll love this and intuitively get each other because of that. And I think that's a very important thing, you know, at the end of the day. Last, as for some important dates, Jupiter, the planet of miracles, was in Gigi's house of partnership, engagement, and marriage actually last March when they got engaged. Wow. Signifying this is a blessed and divine connection. Amazing. Yeah, I love that. Also, Jupiter is now in Gigi's house of intimacy this year, showing that she is spending a lot of time negotiating what they each give and receive from their union. Very okay. cool. All right. <laughs> you know, I love it. Yeah, I mean, everybody does it, you know? Yeah. However, with Jupiter being in Nat's zodiac sign this year, it means that he's starting a powerful and profound cycle for 12 years when Jupiter is in our sign, major life events that are fated and blessed happen to, happen to us. This is often when we attract true love, get engaged, get married, have a baby, launch our career, whatever it is that's most important for our coming 12-year cycle. So you can actually predict the things that are going to be really crucial to you by what happens at that time. Yeah. So, you know, this is a supremely blessed time for the two of them, and honestly, they're just, they're really, they look great, and I'm so excited for them. Yeah, the stars are aligned. I love it. I'm very happy for them. And I'm very happy, you know, just, I think she's fantastic, and I'm excited that I got to meet her and interview her because I was just extremely inspired. So, um, congrats, you guys. Mm-hmm. A little bit of not a blessed time um our second story so rapper asap rocky is currently being held in a prison in sweden so this is one of those stories that's complicated and this and that i'm going to try to break it down for you so he was arrested in sweden um, due to a june 30th street fight that was caught on video so rocky was arrested along with his colleagues after voluntarily going to police headquarters in stockholm for questioning on july 3rd He had been part of um, the July 2nd lineup at this two-day smash festival of hip-hop in the city, and all these stars have really reached out via social media, being like, get him 
out of jail. He shouldn't be there. People are trying to help him. Like Diddy has, you know, spoken out. Justin Bieber, Shawn Mendes, Jada Pinkett Smith, Nick Cannon, Meek Mill, Cara Delevingne, Post Malone. Like the list goes on and on. And when you first read this story, you're like, well, what did he do? Why is he, you know, was he super violent with someone? We, you know, I didn't know at first, but there is a petition now on change.org that's reached 250,000 signatures in less than 12 hours. It is the 10th fastest in history to hit that benchmark. And people, it's now up to 600 or 530,000 signatures. And part of the petition says that he also is being held in really poor conditions and isn't getting the um, legal rights that he should be. And it kind of just seems like it's a loophole. They're trying to make an example. I don't know if it has anything to do with race, but I will say that I watched the video. I was going to ask. Yeah. And this person that, quote, unquote, got intact was antagonizing him and his friends. I think it was his bodyguard, um, security. He was, like, throwing headphones at them. And they literally, ASAP Rocky was just like, dude, please just leave us alone. I'm begging you. We don't want to fight you. We really don't want to fight you. Like, just, you know, go. Because he knew his security was about to pounce. And they didn't. And then finally, you know, they did. And so I didn't see, I guess there's a fuller video of, it says that they all attacked him just brutally. But the way it was written, I'm like, I don't necessarily believe that given the way he was speaking to the man that was harassing him. So, you know, and he, they recorded it on purpose because in the video he says, look, guys, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. These people are harassing me. I don't know what's going to happen. And then now he's in prison for uh, assaulting this guy and also part of his security team is as well. Um, I feel pretty bad for him. And it's not, it's a very scary thing to be stuck in a foreign country. He's missing, you know, he's missing a lot of work. And this is obviously going to affect him for some time. So Kyle, I'm interested to hear what's going on. And he's also a Libra like me. So I'm like, oh no, that's a bad time. Am I going to go through a bad time? It scares me. No, I mean, I could write about some of the stuff that you, I don't know if you read it yet, but I'll certainly go into it. So Asap Raki is a Libra. And there are some obviously very interesting things going on here for him. The big thing to note is that his fight took place right near the solar eclipse in his, his fame in public recognition sector. This means, unfortunately, that this big scandal is going to follow him and he will be known for it. The solar eclipse was actually on July 2nd. He turned himself in for questioning on July 3rd. He's going to be known for it. So, in, however, that's not all of it either. He's been having a lot of attention on his career with Mercury spinning, spending most of his time this summer in this sector, as well as causing some changes in direction and new information to be seen. So it is possible that things could go in his favor once things like shake out, you know, from the shadow period, and you know, especially because, you know, that we won't really have all of the information until August 15th fully. So the vast majority of this month is going to be focused on, you know, all right, what's the facts? What's going on? You know. And for you, obviously, it's it's just making sure that you have you know everything sorted out for Comic Con and mm-hmm. getting all into all of that stuff. For him, unfortunately, because it happened right around the time of the eclipse, he's kind of screwed a little bit, you know, with that, you know. Why would you hire? First of all, why would you hire bodyguards and then you do the fighting? I think I I would if I was in a foreign country, mm-hmm. just saying like 
even without bodyguards, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to get involved in anything. Mm-hmm. But if I have hired help to, like, protect me, I'm, I'm not getting involved with one person throwing headphones. It sounds a little... Yeah. Like, I, it, it doesn't... It sounds like, yeah, he was maybe antagonized, but still it doesn't sound like the best decision to... Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you do have... That, that kind of stuff is going to happen. It has to be expected that they're not everybody's going to love you. And yeah. Or, you know, I, I don't know. Totally, totally. Well, also there's this. So, also Saturn, the planet of hardship and obstacles, has been directly opposing the sun in his career sector, meaning that he's been feeling there's all this extra weight on him, and it's either representing com- competitors, competitors or opposition to his goals. Pluto, planet of destruction but also rebirth, has been clashing with his focus in this area because the sun is in that area right now too, signifying that he's going to eventually have to be reborn from these things and do important karmic work on releasing it. Last, Venus is also going to be clashing with both of these planets this month, meaning that ASAP is going to have very important relationships in his career tested and potentially some endings with them because of that. And then this occurs uh, due to the way that he's been approaching his relationships already. And so clearly there is some dark and warlike karma that needs to be worked out. I'm just such a sucker, but I feel bad. I feel bad for him, you know? Yeah, I'm not saying that, like, I mean, clearly, like, you know, if... I don't know. I feel like I literally saw half of the video, and they cut some. But I, uh, what I saw was not, I was just like, oh, poor guy. Like, oh, yeah. crap, you but know? But if he hits somebody, that's just not going to, Yeah, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. I haven't seen the video. But I'd like to talk about the fact that something like this gets that many people to petition. Yeah. There are so totally. many other things on going on on this planet mm-hmm. that that's are true. requiring signatures. It, it's it's crazy to me that that many celebrities can come together and, and try to make a change with something like that. Yeah. That's a little shocking. It you is. Know, I, I feel you. I feel yeah. you. And I understand that point of view, but also it it's kind of nice that so many people care about him, but yeah, let's be signing petitions for, yeah. you know... The environment? That, yeah. I mean, the 10th largest, or the yeah. largest, that, like... Yeah, yeah. That, that's a little nuts. He has a lot, you know, it's... He's one of those names. I'm not super into rap music, but he's always on all these tracks. You know, you're like, oh, featuring ASAP Rocky, blah, blah, blah. So I, I hope he is going to be okay. But, yeah, let's uh, use our change.org power <laughs> to, um, like, while you're on there signing that petition, yeah, sign, sign a bunch of other go. ones that, like that, you know, like that. really need some attention. So, yeah, yeah. I agree. wish him the best. This third story is um, a little bit, like, self-gratifying for me, but I do know a lot of our listeners and our followers on Instagram also watch The Bachelorette, so we just need to talk about some things because we are getting, we've just gotten down um, to the final two, and um, basically this season is a lot different than others because Hannah Brown, who is our Bachelorette, has become a really big feminist icon the entire season, they've been teasing a moment that happened on TV last night um, that Fantasy Sweet Week is the week where people do it. Um, cameras are gone, and, you know, it's called Fantasy Sweet for a reason. So one of her final men, um, Luke Parker, is religious. She's religious and basically shamed her for having sex with other men. And she broke down and was like... <laughs> 
she said that she effed in a windmill twice, and Jesus still loves her. And you go, girl. Yeah, she sent him packing. <laughs> but her final two contestants, one of them is extremely controversial. Um, his name is Jed Wyatt, and this is one of the first times that a controversy about a contestant has come out during the show, and he's making it really, really far. Like, he might win. Um, he admitted earlier on in the season he pretty much came on for his music career, and he sucks. Not a good musician, but here nor there. Um, I mean, he's on the show. He's got to be gorgeous. Yeah, he's hot, but I don't. I'm. I just. I don't. I don't like him. But he had basically a girlfriend before the show, and he told her like, "Wait for me, baby. This is just an obstacle. We're gonna have to. You know, I'm just on it for the show. I'm not interested in her." That sounds like some Capricorn bullshit. Yeah. yeah. I'm calling that out there. I don't, oh my god. I know. P O S. Like I can't watch this guy anymore. And she's totally falling for it. Falling for his songs, and she sends this other guy packing. That, you know, yeah, he's anti-feminist, misogynist, but uh, this other guy, Jed, kind of is as well. Um, But she seems really, really enamored with him. And now that the news has come out, none of them can officially make public statements because ABC has such a tight, you know, tight rules on them. Um, But Hannah has kind of spoken out on Twitter and has thrown some shade because she obviously now knows everything that's come out. I mean, it was a big story. It was picked up by Entertainment Tonight. E! News, like, all these different things. And um, the other guy she has left basically is one of the most loved contestants to ever grace her television screens. His name is Tyler Cameron. He's gorgeous. He's a feminist. And he loves her. And um, she just is kind of going to have quite the dilemma. And it's a shit show to watch because all of America, this was taped months ago before a lot of these things came out. So all of America knows as they're watching what's happening, but obviously when they filmed, she did not. Um, So I gave Kyle some dates about, like, when she started filming and, you know, the big, like, milestones that happened throughout filming. I think that she's just, she's unique, she's different, and she's paving the way for more talk about, like, religion and sex. And um, I... You can, and Jesus or whoever, Moses, God, I don't know, he will still love you. Like, why? Are, how does everyone think we got here in the first place? So it's interesting. It's going to be a very big topic of conversation for the next few weeks until the finale airs. So I wanted to get Kyle to look into these men's charts, to Hannah's charts, to kind of see specifically what was going on with these people. Oh, dear, this is some hot drama for sure. So Hannah's a Libra. Mm-hmm. Jed is a Capricorn, Tyler is an Aquarius. Of their initial compatibility, you'd think that Hannah and Tyler truly do have a better connection. Hannah, you know, as a Libra and Tyler as an Aquarius blend so well together and they have a very vibrant possibility for love. Those two signs are kind of like two peas in a pot. You know, there's that, that flow. Jed, however, is having a lot of destined ch- changes take place in his life. And this is because of the eclipses that are taking place in his sun sign. He's also having major eclipses take place in his marriage and partnership sector. As I've mentioned before, Capricorns and Cancer are going through major shifts in in their path, finding soulmates, getting engaged, getting married, or being shaken completely out of relationships in order to be redirected toward better partners. Certainly starting last year, throughout most of 2020, Jed will be experiencing that learning curve. However, looking at some of these key dates, On April 24th, the son was in Jed's romance and love zone when he introduced his family to her. On May 4th, the son was in uh, Hannah's 
sector of intimacy where she was negotiating the balance in her relationships in the give and take. And that was, ha you know, happily when she dropped Luke because that wasn't working for her. Her engagement took place when her intimacy, and, uh, her intimacy sector was still lit, lit up, bringing her into an agreement with the final winner, winner when that happened. However, June 18th is a funny date because this is when you know, things are airing, and this fell right near her full moon, and that full moon was in Jed's 12th house of secrets, karma, hidden enemies, and baggage. And that's when the <laughs> ex-girlfriend came out with these texts oh, and, no. all, and her whole story, so that is so crazy to me. God, these Capricorn assholes, I just can't. <laughs> um, so it, but that, because it came out then, it shows he was truly trying to hide that information, and it, it came out. It was a full moon. Good. Yeah, so that's, yeah, like that was not planned. Uh, so then also, now though, we are having an eclipse this week in Capricorn. For, for Hannah, it's all about her, or no, the, the eclipse is earlier in the month. We're for, in her a house of fame, publicity, and career being lit up. For Jed, it's putting him front and center. And Tyler, it's all about his hidden things finally coming to light. So there's an interesting combination that we have going on with these eclipses because if, again, this goes back to kind of what we were talking about with like sharper, difficult, you know, more severe aspects. If you're not living like an asshole, you're not going to have asshole things happen to you when they come, like, come out because this could be that he won the show. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that would be the thing that, because that's been a secret. You know, so, I mean, honestly, I, these men, I cannot with these men that, that think that they can just like keep people like around and like, called gaslighting. Yeah, you, like you think you can you can you can have all of it and I just burn them to the ground. Yes. Oh. I very much agree. Well, you know, I, I just had like we have to talk later. Okay. <laughs> oh. oh god. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um I have a feeling in a month or so once all of the dust settles because what I love about the show now with social media and things is once the season ends airing on TV or and filming and it's airing on television, there's still drama that's happening because people are watching, more secrets come out, and then you realize that like things have been going on that we never saw. Because, it's harder yeah. being on a show, watching it when it's when it's airing. Oh you relive everything, and like you said, you find out what everybody else was saying and doing, things that you didn't know. Yeah. And, it's, and the people around you also get to see it, and girlfriends. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. yeah. You know, even if this doesn't end in happiness for her, I think at the very least she has been a really cool icon to just be like, yeah, I have sex. I don't care. I'm not sorry. Men do it all the time. Like, sue me. Good for her. It's good for her. You know, maybe she falls in love with herself and that's the end. Mm -hmm. Who knows? I don't know. But speaking of um, someone falling in love with yourself, because I think that was a really um, good quote on Sex in the City at one point, we're going to move on to our Celeb WTF of the Week. Usually I do couples that don't really make sense or love triangles, but this week it's going to be a little bit different. It's about a friendship that um, isn't what everyone thought it was. So Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall, a.k.a. Carrie and Samantha from Sex and the City. So um, last year, some information, well, they were talking about doing a Sex and the City 3, and Kim Cattrall basically said no, never, and just shut it down. People accused her of not doing it because she wasn't getting enough money. And so finally she came out and just basically said, Sarah Jessica Parker has been a big bully to her for years. The other girls have kind of been bullies to her. 
Um, and it's not about the money, but it's just she was never close with them. They were never friends, and um, her f uh, brother passed away last year, Kim's did, and Sarah reached out via social media, sending her love and support. She basically was like, screw you. I don't want your love and support, you phony. And um, it's such but a she bummer. she accepted the other girl. Yes. Social media outreach. So you're, you know about some of this drama, too, well, huh? Well, I'm, I know Sarah Jessica Parker. And she's actually one of the most lovely people I've ever been around, and I'm and I, in fact I just did an article, and I say she's she's one of the sweetest celebrities that I know. I really hope to meet her someday. So she's, she's, she's so she's, iconic. She is, uh, like she is. She's fabulous. She is a super sweet human being. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just so sad because I grew up with that show, and you really believe. That they're all best friends. Well, it's like the Golden Girls. I was crushed to find out that, you know, that B. Arthur and um, Betty White. Betty White had liked with somebody? Her. Oh, she hated, B. Arthur hated Betty White. Wow. Yeah. We so gotta go like, into that one. So you think, it's the, same, it's the same thing. I just have to say, I know, I know Sarah Jessica Parker. I think she's lovely. I think she's creative. She shares her life. Um... You know, she knew, she's, her and Cynthia Nixon were, um, they met on Broadway. They were both in the original Annie. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, of course she's going to have a friendship going into this with that. Mm -hmm. I just haven't, and then Kristen. Oh, I for, love her so I much. I love her too. And she's somebody that, she's not trying to do anything. She just adopted two kids. She, you know, she's living her life. And for her to come out after all of it and say, you know what, this, you know, what Kim Cattrall is doing is not right. She doesn't support what she's saying publicly. I just, I, it sounds like there's a common denominator with all of the, the women. I, I have a hard time believing that that many cast members is, is going to not like one person for no specific reason. You know, it's just... Do you think it was always like this? Like while they were shooting in the late 90s, early 2000s, do you think they were ever friends? I intuitively get a feeling that Kim Cattrall has um, th that there's there's some ego issues happening. Yeah, and that she she likes being the star. That she's a Leo. Yeah, That's literally what I was talking and, about later. Yeah, and I think that that what happened is she, I I really think that she thought that this was going to be a role that you you know was going to be as big as Sarah Jessica Parker's role, even though she was she was part of the cast. I, um, yeah, I don't think that she's good at sharing the spotlight. Even her her tweet replies, some, I think Perez Hilton just tweeted her out and was like, uh, Samantha Jones, rest in peace, Samantha Jones. And she was like, well, you're, you're two years too late, but you can, you know, see the rebirth of her character on this new show. And it was just, Ugh. it was really, it just, a, a, a very bitchy, egotistical response. Yeah. You know, like, I guess like it's there not was no surprising. tie to the character at all. It was like, you uh. know. And whatever your experience is in, in acting with a group of people, I think that, that there are millions of people that love the show and the character. So she could have done her character justice. Instead, it, it was like she threw it all away for for her beef with Sarah Jessica Parker. Well, I, I will just say it. I don't think we needed a third movie. I love the first movie. Number two was I was just like, no more. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't ever want to go to Abu Dhabi either. I just I have no Thank interest. Abu Dhabi. I think it, 
<laughs> they like dumped it in like Monaco or something. Yes, but they called it Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Yes, I remember. Well, I've watched. So how many seasons are there? Well, so there was six seasons of the show, six but seasons, they yeah. had two movies. No, I know. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I watched the first five seasons. Yeah. Yeah, and they were so incredible, and I just like still to this day I, I think about them all the time. We should like, watch this. I refer that refer, refer to them for still style yeah. and and hair inspo because it. It is timeless, and um, the the designer for the show is she's iconic. It, I, I love I love it. Yeah, and I mean, actually, oh, oddly yeah. enough, I'm remembering this now. I have next to my bed this like collector's Sex in the City book, and it's just because I had that, and then Kyle right now has my Us Weekly um, best like coolest photos of all time, and they're like those two books I've had since I was probably 13 years old. And um, I just love Sex and the City, and it's sad to kind of see this fantasy blow up. And while because re- I rewatch it all the time, really, like once a year, I, I rewatch it. Season. That's the thing you you're not seeing Sarah Jessica Parker posting, no. you know, all of this this hateful stuff about mm-hmm. Kim Cattrall. It really is just when she's confronted with it, it's like, yeah, I reached out like any person would do, and and it's it's water under the bridge. She's off to the next thing. She's having. You know, I, I, that's what's interesting. Yeah. To sit back and look at it. Well, Kyle, what are all of their signs? Like, how do they lay with each other? Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this is definitely an interesting story. Uh, so let's dive I right love in. sex. I'm glad you're talking about this. I love this show. I me too. I'm just like, yeah. yeah. When you did this one today, or sent it to me, I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, uh, some of those moments. Anyway, so Sarah Jessica Parker is an Aries, fiery, strong-willed, dominant. Aries is a leader, so she was a leader of the show, and eventually even became an executive producer. Those are leader, very specific Aries leader qualities. She wanted her stamp on the franchise, and wanted it clearly known that she was the powerhouse, not only in front of, but also behind the camera with that. Sarah is ruled by Mars, the warrior planet in the assertive force. Now, that doesn't make someone a bad person, it just shows that, you know, they're very aggressive or assertive, you know, and those, again, don't have to be negative qualities. Uh, Kim Cattrall is a Leo. Leo are prideful, also fiery, and also dominant, but extremely stubborn in a way that Aries definitely doesn't need to be. So would you say that they're maybe two of the worst signs for each other? No, because I actually go into this. So, yeah, anyways, let me jump jump into that in a bit. So this doesn't make, make him or any Leo a bad person again, because they radiate naturally and have tremendous gifts of a performance, creativity, magnetism, beauty. Kim is, on the opposite end, is ruled by the sun, the center of our solar system. Because of this, most Leos demand attention, and if they do not get it or are the shining star, they will feel defeated and become resentful. So that's literally what you were saying. I was like, I looked at the charts and I was like, hell yeah, that makes complete sense. So then, you know, clearly as we can see, the makeup of their feud is in their sign. On one hand, the two fire signs of Aries and Leo, as you were hinting at, can be incredible together. Passionate, powerful, dynamic. You know, as many people have said, you know, Sarah and Kim were the favorites of the entire Sex and the City empire. But when grudges happen, Aries, uh, Aries, so Sarah can let it go. She's a cardinal sign. She'll move on. Whereas uh, Kim, a Leo, is a sixth sign. She will hold on to that shit forever. So that's where it really comes from. Uh, jumping to the other characters, Kristen Davis is a sweet and sensitive Pisces, which is so funny because that is exactly how her character totally comes off in this show. Oh, yeah. Like, totally. And I was like, oh, my God, I love it. Charmant. Uh, Cynthia Nixon is also an Aries, but the thing about Aries, you know, as I've been mentioning before, is that whether or not they are the leader, 
they want to be in cahoots with the ones who are. So when Kim alleged, alleged that there was a mean girl squad, of course, this does make complete and total sense from her point of view. There was, you know, Sarah was the fiery Aries leader, Kristen was the excitable Pisces, and uh, Cynthia was a passion Aries, and they all wanted to follow the path forward because that was, that was their goal. That was their conquest. They were on the show, you know, and Sarah is the star. <laughs> you know, who else is in the, the intro? No one. Yeah. You know, so, of course, you know, that is the key there. And, and she's the executive producer later on. Uh, there was no eclipsing out of that, and so, of course, you know, they wanted to stay on a good side with her. You know, Kim, however, did not give a single shit because she knew her, her own star power and didn't want or need to, to bow to anyone, and this ultimately drove them apart. And Kim felt rejected, disrespected, and resentful. And uh, unfortunately, it truly does look like this feud will never go away. Like, that's just, it's done. Yeah, and one of the reasons I brought it up this week is because someone on a red carpet recently saw Kim and, you know, asked again about the third movie. And she once again, like, brought it all back up yeah. again. So it's like a trending story again. I, I, it's Mercury I, Retrograde. Well, it also... You know, you see this in Hollywood too. She's she's coming out with the show or whatever on she plugged it on. <laughs> yeah. I think like Showtime or whatever. Or Fox. It's on Fox. Oh, that's um, not gonna work. But she was like Sorry. <laughs> she she was like I, I think that this is part of a story that will keep her relevant. Mhm. You know, and, and it's the only like right now it's the only story that anybody could ask her about. What else is going on? Yeah. You know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, well it's, it's, I do have such a warm place in my heart knowing these characters, you know, and really, like, going through that, that, that process of, you know, I don't know, laughing and crying and falling in love with their characters and stuff. And I would love to meet them, and I hope that they just don't ever step in the same room. Yes. Yeah. You know? I, I, I guess I can, I can love them both for their different sides. I'm a Taurus, and they would both mm-hmm. love me. I'm good at com- compartmentalizing sure. <laughs> their <laughs> personalities and their characters. So right. I, I, you know, I can still love Samantha. Um, I, she's definitely not a person that I think I would want to sit down and hang out to at a party. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of you compartmentalizing, (laughs) that, uh, probably has something to do with who you are, what your sign is, all of that. So this is the point in our show where we're going to dive into you, Brandon, and see, like, what's going on here. All right. So you're like, how's a doctor? (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing today? (laughs) Uh, so you're a Cancer Sun mm-hmm. with a Gemini rising. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Yes. Okay, good. So some major things to note for you is that you are having some major destined moments taking hold this year. They actually started last year in July because you had an eclipse in Cancer in your sign. When we have an eclipse in our sun sign, it puts us front and center and redirects our path. Sometimes we may feel like some big dream, hope, or goal is suddenly closer than ever before or we are having something removed from our life that isn't bringing us fulfillment or happiness. The universe ultimately wants you to be happy, prosperous, and healthy. Thank so you, universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so eclipses are the most dramatic and powerful lightning bolts that the stars can affect our lives with. You had another eclipse in your sign earlier this month, opening another big door for you, so that was on the second. And you will have two more eclipses in Cancer next year, early January, and again in June 2020. So you're going to see big, exciting, and profound doors just blasting open. So get ready to see this. Like, momentum is just going to speed up. These, these years are going to be like, holy shit, like, oh my god, everything is happening right now. Like, it's going to be so fast. And I think the... Bring it on. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and the thing that's cool too is I, I looked even further into your chart. And so, uh, and I don't have the dates for it, but after you're done with these eclipses, they go into your ascendant. And so your, your Gemini rising is being hit by them next as well. Oh, so you're having a lot, basically starting, starting last year, for like the next like five years roughly, you are having an immense amount of learning and exciting things happening in relation to how you stand apart and stand center stage in the world. Fine. But then also, <laughs> also how you are stronger together in a partnership. So yeah, so so I'll give even some more into that too. So let's see. Oh yeah, because of all these eclipses, my my honest assessment for you is that you really need to journal and meditate on what is going to be that you want. Because now that you're in this very powerful zone for the next couple of years, you actually can materialize and manifest your desires like that much more quickly. I always have to remind myself, I forget to ask. Or like just exactly. say what I want. I'm like, okay, I want this. Exactly. So, yeah. and that's the thing is, it's like you're gonna feel like practically just magical over, and it's probably already begun over the last you've been seeing, you know, with the the movements of Jupiter, which which I'll kind of touch on too. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just gonna be these things that you're just like, finally, it's here. Mm-hmm. Finally, it's here. I'm doing this now, and I'm doing this now, and yes, they're all coming true. And it's like hell, yeah, because the power is in your ascendant and in your sun sign. Like, it's you. I love that. Yeah. 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 And it's like, not a lot of people have that. That's going to happen to me in like, because I'm a Taurus rising with, or no, I'm a Taurus sun with an Aries rising, and so that they're back to back, just like Cancer and and Gemini are for you. I don't know the dates, but it'll be roughly a a few crazy years, and I'll be like, I mean, whatever, I'm already taking over the world, so it's fine. Well, it, it seems like before this have been the most, and I don't want to say difficult or trying, but so much effort. Like, they've been, it's taken a lot of effort the last few years. Well, I'm going to tell you why. All right, so then we did talk about your eclipses in the partnership and marriage zone. So, yeah, so these are going to be important alliances that began or ended, uh, or you're taking them to the next level. For instance, in a happy existing partnership, you can be discussing plans to have a baby, buy a home together, take trips together, start a business together. And that's why this yeah. is, that's all happening because of this. Uh, it also could be with things like signing with a new agent or a new manager or like changing your rates and things like that mm-hmm. in that kind of partnership. So that's another way of looking at it. Uh, right now, you have the planet of Jupiter ruling blessings and miracles in your sector of employment and work. So you're likely seeing some major great blessings in these areas like right now. However, starting in October of this year, it enters your house of partnership and marriage until about December of 2020. It's longer than some people's because of the way that your chart is. So that's really badass. Uh, yeah. So this means your committed relationships are going to flourish, grow, and become even more fruitful. And your partners will likely be bringing you more money and love and happiness. So it's like, hell yeah, you know. You're bringing right? on. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, the reason you've been probably having some very difficult moments with probably over the last couple of years with seeing like either opposition to your goals or feeling like some partners before either were ending or, you know, they just weren't working out for you. So Jupiter entered, or not Jupiter, Saturn is the planet of hardship and obstacles. It was directly opposing your ascendant, which is your identity ultimately. Okay. And that was roughly from about 
2014-ish, maybe 2015, mm-hmm. and it's still going on. Okay. And it's going to, it's, yeah, it's not going to stop until 2020. But you're so close to the end of it. Yeah. That you're, you, like, you're forming incredible partnerships that are long-lasting, that are going to last for 30 years at least, you know, like, major big goals that you're finally achieving. It's, you have to go through this period of opposition with Saturn, because mm-hmm. it takes Saturn 30 years to go around the sun. But when you, you know, face it, it's just like the shit that is weak breaks yeah. and shatters. And well, and it's funny, because just last, I would say six months, six to nine months, I'm like, the mo- using the word momentum mm-hmm. has just been building to the point where I honestly just the last couple weeks things are just now just uh, they're they're rolling on themselves but that's the eclipse so. that's a different yeah. transit of things right. so that's why like for instance like yeah. the more we become friends and we talk like I mean I'm here so I can answer this question for you because you'd be like what the hell I'll be like calling you. <laughs> yeah, you know, like... How many yeah. texts and calls do you get from people you've met? It's like, WTF is going on today, Kyle. I mean, a lot, but I love it because <laughs> yeah. it's really, like, I... It's so cool because I actually, I learn about even more about astrology by analyzing your chart and, like, even looking at you and Craig. And, oh, this is the thing that I was saying before. So, uh, I, I'll save that for the end. So, I'm going to pick up some days for you that are important. So, the big moment for your career of the year here is October 13th. So plan like a major publicity thing, um, anything that's going to get you more fame, more power, more success. It's that specific date or that time? Like around then. Usually a full moon casts its light. You know, I always use this image. So imagine that you're standing on a stage. Yeah. And there's one spotlight that's in the center. Mm-hmm. and But it's very hard. So it's not like nothing yeah. else is seen. So, you know, every, you know, you have 12 different, sometimes 13 spotlights in your year in a different area of your life. Yeah. So you're, you, you are marching between them. Well, right now, up till now, you're marching to that career momentum. So you're building, you're still like growing for it. Well, you know, roughly, I'm going to say probably about like three to four days before, you're going to really be seeing it ramp up. And then you stand in the center of that week and you're just like, hell yes, like I am here world and this is what I command. And then you, it fades. Okay. Until the next time. Until the next Yeah, is that crazy? Do you like this? I love that analogy. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So, I love the visual. Thank you, thank you. Uh, and uh, everyone, also, don't forget, if you want your own reading, please go to kyleastrology.com. Kylethomasastrology.com. Yeah, I mean, I do... now, I'm serious. Yeah, I do all sorts of different readings. I do it in people's charts. I go into important key dates. I, you know, I, I think that astrology is predictive, but it's also productive. And the, the next one here I'm going to tell you is... It's a new moon. So this is where the, 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 the analogy that I use for this is imagine that you are planting a garden of your life and you have different plots of land that are going to be good for different kinds of seeds. So let's say it's time to plant strawberries, which is your love life. So your love life, this is going to determine your entire love life for all of 2020. Mm-hmm. You have to lay that, that doorway opens on October 27th and the 10 days that follow. So, you know, yes, something naturally is going to be like, you're going to be feeling more romantic and you're going to be wanting to do cute things, and that's great. This is also real children and creativity as well. So all of those sectors. So, you know, when you are, you know, telling the universe, like, I want love, like, you don't want a little bit of love, get all of it. Yeah. So use that window in time. And that's why, like, I literally use astrology as a strategy. I know when I'm going to get certain things so then I don't waste my time. When it, yeah, you know, like, 
that's why like I'm so excited for the coming couple two months because I'm like oh my god I'm so excited to fall in love again and like it's been so effing long I can't like it's been too long and there's no Mercury retrograde so then no more exes okay all right yeah anyways uh, but yeah for you it's uh, October 27th and 10 days after that then to finish the compatibility here for you is that so you are a Gemini rising and a Cancer. He is a Sagittarius rising and an Aquarius. So blatantly, usually, you would look at Aquarius and, and Cancer and think that they have very different modes of thought. But that is half of your chart. So you always have, you, you would literally read Gemini and Cancer for the rest of your life for everything. He reads Sagittarius and Aquarius. Well, Sagittarius and uh, Gemini are completely six months apart, which means that you both rule partnership and marriage for each other. Aww. Like, literally, it's like a yeah. really divine connection like that. How beautiful. Yeah, so I'm just, like, so excited for you, because I'm just, like, I'm always, like, I'm on, like, on my hunt for, like, my Libra rising, and then hopefully he's, like, I don't know, he can be anything else. Isn't that me? <laughs> yes. I mean, that's why we partner, too. Yeah, But sorry. I love you, but I, I'm not I don't do it for him that way. I'll never forget the day he's, like, I love you, Sam Davidson. You are one of my soulmates, but not in that way. And I was, like, No, I mean, I you're know. one of my soulmates, but I'm <laughs> never going to have sex with you. Well, speaking <laughs> of sex... I love you. Uh, you're gorgeous. And by the way, she's super, super gorgeous. All of you straight men out there... Go to Comic-Con and don't yes. mask. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Wear your best face to Comic-Con, guys. Um, okay, well, yeah, speaking of sex, we're going to quickly play our game of Bang, Mary Hill Cancer Season. Yes. All right, so I have three men. Kevin Bacon, John Cusack, and Josh Hartnett. It's hard. It's really hard. I always need to look at recent photos of these homes. Yeah. I'll, I'll go first. Um, okay. Josh, Josh Hartnett. Hartnett. Oh, that's like my childhood. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll go because I have had fantasies of banging him since I was a teenager. So I'm going to bang Josh Hartnett. I'm going to marry John Cusack because I just think he seems like he'd be a great husband. And I love Kevin Bacon too, and I'm really sad to do this, um, but I'm, I'm going to have to kill him. That's, that's mine. Josh is pretty dang cute. How did you not know who he was? He's so he's yeah. so hot. No, I remember him. It's just it's not Pearl Harbor. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just didn't know if he what he looked like now. He's still he's <laughs> been pretty dreadful on Showtime for the, those few years. So yeah. Well, what about yeah. you? I would definitely bang Josh. <laughs> um, who wouldn't? You know, I think I'm gonna I, I'm gonna go with you because. You know, I'm, I would kill Kevin and marry John because then Joan would be my sister-in-law. Hell and I yeah. Love her. <laughs> Me so, too. Yeah, you know. Say anything, yeah. high fidelity. Oh, God, I just could marry him. Yeah, what about you, pal? Alrighty. Uh, I feel like, isn't there that thing that's like the this the level of Bacon 7 and everyone's like related or yeah. Yeah. somebody in Hollywood? Yeah. Well, it's Seven degrees. Of separation. Of Kevin Bacon. Oh, yep, Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if yeah. I've hit that yet. Six degrees of six degrees. Yeah, something like that. So everybody you can trace, we can trace everybody back to Kevin Bacon. Yes. Because they've been they've been in a movie with him or yeah, they or No, they just know him some yeah. way. Yeah. And his his wife is a uh, Kira Cedric, also a very famous actress. So come on, make some decisions here. All right. Sure. Uh, I'm going to marry Josh Hartnett. Mm. 
I'll be so jealous. I'll have an affair with him. I'm sorry. I mean, whatever. He's straight. You can have him. Um, And I guess I will... I'm going to get rid of John Cusack, sorry. And then I think just to, like, be a part of the Hollywood elite, I guess mm-hmm. I just got to bang Kevin Bacon, you yeah. know? I'm a romantic, so I'm not banging anybody. Bang but, the you bacon. Know. Yeah, bang the bacon. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. I hope it's not too salty of me. <laughs> right. Who doesn't love bacon? Anyway, <laughs> um, guys, we appreciate you tuning in so much for this week's episode of Astro Kiki. Thank you so much for joining Thank us, Brandon. You. I love it. Where can everyone follow you, find you, keep up with what's going on with you? At Brandon Liberati on all platforms and BrandonLiberati.com. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And you guys can find me, Sam 